Cool, man. How are you, man? Pretty good. Busy trying to, you know, just a lot going on uh, with the company and trying to make enough product uh, this year. Um, well, like I said, that that's a good problem to have. I mean, you have being good. There's there's busy, and then there's good busy. It sounds like you're good busy. So, yeah, you know, it's a good problem to have. Um, trying to get in as much hunting and testing as I can at the same time. So it could be it could be hard to get everything done, but it's it's all good. I th- I think you just need to call everything testing, and then it just falls under a business, you know, a business, you know, obligation. So that takes higher priority than just recreational hunting. So, right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well then, then let's. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, we we need to pick up where we left off the other day, but let me just do the quick introduction and let's just dive in, man. Let's because if if it goes like our previous discussion was heading, I think it's going to be fun. So. Let's just dive in. Yeah, sounds good. So I was remembering back that I remember when I started the company, probably the first year or so, and we talked We talked at the Sportsman Show. You presented a seminar there, and then we talked on the phone a couple of times. I think we left, talked for like an hour and a half on, on yeah. uh, the whole broadhead development and engineering that went into it. And yeah, it's well, been a while since we had one of those long conversations. I think it's we might be due for another one. I, I let, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So hold on. All right. So three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Row Hunting Resources Podcast. All right. So uh, as you, anybody that listens to me knows that. So last week I kind of post or this, well, it's this week, but the, the previous podcast was postponed. I ended up getting a sinus infection that turned into a chest cold and it just, I couldn't talk and I was hacking up a lung and I was like, all right, this is just, that's just not going to happen. And so I was planning on, and I'm still going to have to clear my throat and probably cough up a lung, but regardless, I was planning on recording something this week anyway. And then Bill Vanderheiden, now is it, okay, is it Vanderheiden or Hayden? Uh, Vander Hyden. Yeah, you okay. said it right. So. All right. All right. Nice, okay. All right. Nice there we job. go. So from Iron Will Outfitters, uh, the Iron Will Broadheads, you had reached out to me because you had listened to the 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 Snyder Row Marathon, eight-hour marathon on, on one of your drive times. And, and uh, some of the discussion in there dealt with, you know, you and, and Broadheads and such. And so, you know, Bill got a hold of me and, said, Hey, I've got a couple questions. I want to bounce some ideas off you. And literally we just, I, I, we, we, we got on the phone and it was just, uh, you know, a half-hearted conversation. And then I don't know how long we were on the phone, like almost, was it 45 minutes almost? And I don't know. It was, it was, we just started going and I'm like, we need to just kill this conversation and come back in and just hit it, do it as a podcast, because we were talking about some really fun, just intellectually, I don't know. Just, just, I, I don't know. You're an engineer. I've got kind of an engineer brain. You start picking things apart just because it's fun to pick apart and see where the, you know, the, the thought experiment takes you. And so we're like, all right, we're just going to table this conversation and just pick it up and, and just do a podcast. So here we are. It's Thursday evening. Um, yeah. So cool, man. I'm glad I'm, I, I appreciate you. So Bill, thank you for coming on. I appreciate you. I, I, the, the friendship over the years. And, and I, I think that's a great segue into just how do we, how do we even start this thing? Because, you know, people have heard me talk about you for a while, but I don't know if they even understand the origin behind that, because 
I'll own, I'll own the fact that I was skeptical that you're, so you're right, man. So I was at the ISC show in Denver doing a, a seminar. And this is when you were still, you had just started. And you right. literally walked up to me and handed me a broadhead. Now, anybody that doesn't know Iron Will heads, um, obvi- okay, let's just get this out of the way. They're not cheap. But yeah, I will always make the case that I, I truly, on, honestly believe this. Um, you get what you pay for, with at least with Iron Will. I know that's not with all products. Trust me. I know that that's not with all products. Just because you pay a premium doesn't mean you're going to get a premium product. The reason why I, and this is anybody that's listened to the Iron the, or the, the Aaron Snyder, the, the Kafaro cast marathon. There's a reason why I have now kind of gone. I, I just, that's all I shoot. That it's just all I shoot anymore. It's not, I, I've been there, done that, tested all sorts of other stuff. And I, I love Bill's product. Okay. So that's where I'm at now. But there's a lot of people that have a a really good idea for a product. But sometimes the idea doesn't actually translate into something that's going to actually move the needle as far as, you know, Regard, it, it, I guess it it, deal, it it has to deal with with what product it is and what the marketplace is. But sometimes, it, 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 in general, it's a good idea, eh, but it just is it going to translate into something in the field that's going to make a difference or not? Number one, number two, can you actually make the dang thing, and can you make it of sub of sufficient quality at a cost? that makes it marketable, that actually gets legs and it actually does something. I mean, there's a lot that goes into putting an eye. I've got a piss pile of ideas that I think would be awesome, but just the cost of prototyping, the time and the cost of just trying to prototype something to find out if it is going to move the needle is one thing. Then getting out there and marketing it. Okay. So I am always there. People, I, I'm, you know, and, and give Aaron credit where Aaron's credit is due. Credit is a gear junkie. Okay. And so he tests gear constantly. I'm not that way. However, I get a lot of people that want to send me stuff to test, especially calls and, and other stuff. And I'm not going to, it's not that I want to trash on someone's dream because listen, I, I'm still fighting to make my dream a reality. Okay. Every day. But if, if something's just not going to be up to par or if it's just not meeting the standard, eh, mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm going to kind of pass over it. So here we go. Bill walks up to me at the ISC show and, and hands me this broadhead. Now, again, this is where I was going to go with this. Iron Will broadheads, mm-hmm. you, every single one of those is packaged in a nice little is it a balsa wood or is it what kind of wood? It's a, it's a wood box with, I mean, like it's a custom padded right. little engraved wood box. Every broadhead. By the way, when I handed that to you, that was when we launched the company, launched the first product. We actually had a booth there yep. at, um, at the Denver um, International Sportsman's Expo. That's when that was 2017, January, I think it was when we first showed the broadhead, first launched the company. And I mean, I knew you because... I moved to Colorado about 20 years prior, the very first, and I was trying to learn about all kind, 
the very first, you know, elk calling seminar I ever went to was you presenting at Sportsman's Warehouse in Loveland in a little Man, you know, back going, room with maybe 20 chairs in there. You're going way back. I now I yeah. oh my word. Yeah, 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 yeah. So being the engineer that I am, I took a bunch of notes and put it all in a spreadsheet. And that was my, you know, that was my cheat sheet for elk calling for a while. And it it worked. I was impressed. Um, you know, you'd spent time in the in the wilderness, you know, watching elk. And I live in an area now that I'm 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 lucky that I get to see elk. You know, I had 40 elk in my yard today. So I get to I get to see them nice. interact and call and uh, you know, kind of verify some of the things you said. But yeah, I still use some of your I don't call. I don't really call very much anymore. I'm mostly spot and stock, but when I need to, or when I'm helping somebody else, it, it comes in handy. Uh, things oh, yeah. I learned from you. Well, and then the other thing that we, we both didn't realize, or maybe you knew and I didn't realize, but so, um, James Downs. So JD, um, is a world-class farrier and yeah. you know, JD and have hunted with him and, he was my farrier. I mean, there, the, I mean, he saved legitimately, he saved my, my pack horse. So when we had the four horses, I think, I think he was doing Molly at, at well, but anyway, we had four horses and my, my mare, um, just, uh, I've never seen a pack horse like her ever, but she ended up having front foot issues and JD was the only one that ever figured it out. And I mean, he legitimately saved that horse because she was getting to the point where she couldn't walk. And all of a sudden he figured out the wedging and the, uh, the guy's good. I mean, the guy's legit good. And so he ended up being my, I mean, he was, he did everything for us. Uh, and he, he helped out another horse of mine that ended up having an injury. And then lo and behold, here it is. You guys know each other, you know? So yeah. it, it becomes a small world scenario to where, you hand me this at the sportsman show. You hand me this box. Now at the time, I don't know you from Adam. You're just another schmedley coming up like, Hey, I want you to, I want to, I want you to try my product. And so I'm like, it's a, it's a broadhead, man. Like it's like, it's like, it's a, it's a two blade broadhead with bleeders. And at the time I will tell you, I was a three blade slash legit four blade. I was using slick tricks. Um, and I had used, uh, oh, uh, Savora. I was always a big Savora, uh, fan back in the old days when Savora was made in Washington state, they actually made their blades in Germany. It was a scalpel company that made those blades. And those things were just, they were ugly sharp, like, like just spooky sharp like yours are but they were just spooky sharp and so i was like oh no no no! i want a three blade i want a four blade because i had used the old um zwickies with the little bleeder and the magnus two blade with bleeders and i was like yeah they're they're fine but you know i okay I, i i want a bigger hole is what i thought so at the time well almost other than this year, let's just put it this way. In Denver, the ISE show is in January. So you, and I'm trying to remember that you might remember this timeline better. You handed me that broadhead in January. And I remember vividly getting home, setting that box next to my computer. And I remember, was it a, well, a year? 
it had to have been close to a year because you you called me to follow up and it had not moved off of that spot. That's right. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I need to. I, yeah. You know, I need to test him. I need to. And so we we started the conversation and talk. And then. You know, just you, you pack a little snowball up on a steep slope and you just on a snowfield, you just kind of just send it down the hill and let it start rolling. And here we go. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, it it sat there for at least, um, I, I, I know it was like almost a year. And then I finally started playing with them. Yeah. And I know what you mean by, you know, having a good idea is you're, you know, maybe five or 10% of the way there on a, on actual like developing a product. Um, I had, I had an advantage there that my background was mechanical engineering and I'd been designing, developing components, mechanisms for other companies for many years. So, you know, that, that's what I did. My day job was develop, develop components, increase, improve performance of things. And, you know, moved to Colorado. I've been a three blade guy for 20 years, by the way, when I, when I had a, an elk fail to penetrate an elk shoulder blade or a broadhead fail to penetrate an elk shoulder blade. And that sent me on this path of, testing a bunch of different heads out there, looking at the research. And one thing I'd say I did differently is I didn't have the end idea up front. I had, I just made data-driven decisions the whole way. You know, I tested a bunch of heads out there, compared the results, um, found things I didn't like about each of them, and then started working on fixing those things. And then just started prototyping heads and went through that, you know, seven years of iterations on, on um, broadhead design, different steels. Um, I, I learned through that, you know, I, I initially thought just kind of structural integrity, two blade is just the way to go. But um, the more I learned, sharpness, edge retention is a huge factor that people don't often think about or talk about. And that greatly reduces force to penetrate. Um, but you still need that strength in case you hit a hard bone or whatever. So it's, it's really kind of a whole, whole package to it, I think. Um, Adding the cross cut with the bleeders, I think is key too, to open it up, put more blood on the ground. And anyway, it was just many years of just kind of, you know, strict, good engineering work, um, making data-driven decisions and, and improving. And, and also the thing I did that was different than a lot of companies is I didn't care what it cost because I was trying to make the best broadhead for me to improve my elk hunting um, success, right? And even after I had one that worked great for a few years, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to come out. I thought it would cost too much. People wouldn't really want to buy it, but I did want to go to production. So I'd have, you know, have it made on machines at higher volume and optimize, optimize it even better. Um, and I actually, I'm, I'm a bit amazed at how much in five years it's, um, it's really taken off and grown and people like it. And I've just decided I'm not going to compromise anything on performance, you know, the best materials, the best processes. Um, and my manufacturing costs just keep going up and I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep the costs from going up, but, um, you know, it's, it is three times more expensive than typical heads, but I'd be honest, it's a great value. You're getting a lot for your money. Well, um, and, I'm and, not going to cheapen it to, to reduce prices. Yeah, I no. And, and, but, and, and I don't want you to, I don't want you to gloss over this. One of the things that made was a big you know, a big deal to me because listen, there's other broadheads out there, you know, silver flame had uh broadheads had a mat, you know, there was a lot of following on some of the, the forums and that type of stuff. And there were some other real whoop-de-woo expensive heads out there and such. 
Um, so it wasn't like somebody wasn't making it. It, it a quote on there. You go. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So it wasn't like someone wasn't out there making expensive shit. It's just okay. Is is are, are you moving the needle on actually doing something that is providing a benefit, and it ends up being expensive? But one of the things that really made a big difference for me was when you talked about your warranty and what you how you stand behind your head. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, there are other manufacturers like I know Magnus. You know, I love their uh, bullheads for. Uh, for whacking turkeys, you know, for bow hunting turkeys, shooting them in the head. And Magnus has a, a, a basically you, you shoot the head and it gets damaged and, and it can't be, you send it back and they'll, they'll replace the thing. Okay. That's awesome. You essentially, I'm not going to feel, you tell me what, you know, tell everybody what your, what your modern day warranty is, but it was similar to that, wasn't it? Yeah. For, and we, for years, we just replaced anything that broke for any reason. Cause really, what I've found is you can shoot these through anything. You can shoot these through an animal, hit a heavy bone, whatever, and you aren't going to damage the heads. And that's why I did a, you know, a lifetime warranty on it that they won't um, bend or if you bend or break anything, we replace it. Um, in the last year, we changed that to be through, through animals. I mean, if you shoot through an animal and hit a rock or whatever, we're still going to replace it. We, we were getting a lot of abuse. You know, guys were shooting like in the cinder blocks or, um, into like the target that you know an old foam target where every head was going through into a rock and they just kept shooting them because we'd, we'd replace them so yeah. we we don't cover the the target shooting um so much anymore we kind of just advise you hey shoot a good foam target you know reinhardt blob matrix um you know there's a bunch of them out there shoot a decent foam target don't shoot at the same spot so we kind of want you to be responsible for the target shooting. But yeah, if you shoot it through an animal, if you're shooting at an animal or through an animal or whatever, um, and you have any any bend or break, we replace it. So, so if, really, I, if you so, just take a little bit of care, they should last yeah. you forever. So if I send it through it, so it, whether it's an elk or whatever, but I mean, elk, way I hunt with elk, that arrow is going to launch through that animal. And, and you and I have spoken about this before. Um, if anybody wants to see what these heads do, on an elk. Um, I think the last YouTube video I have up on my, um, yeah, what, I don't remember what the title is. Oh my word. It's my video. I don't even remember what the, anyway, it's my, it's my late, it's my last, it's been a couple of years. So anyway, I killed an elk in Colorado. The bull, the bull is quartered towards me. I think it's 17 yards. And you know, I, I've got, I can, I know exactly where that arrow is going when I shoot and you know, he spins to, to get out of, you know, get out of Dodge. And I knew that it went in, in front of his left shoulder. And then the entire arrow that the broadhead was just poking, just, just bulging the hide, just poking out of the hide on his offside rear quarter, the back end of his leg. So it just, it went, clean through stem to stern. So, and it, and even though, even if I blow through it laterally, um, it's just going to launch off into the, into the brush and that type of stuff. But from whitetails, if I'm in a tree stand shooting down, okay, the arrow's blowing through that animal. I mean, it's, it's, 
Yeah. It's going through the animal. So, I mean, you and I were talking about the fact that when you came out with a wide, and I don't want to jump ahead to it because I've got a no, I've got notes from where we started talking, and, and um, I want to go through that again because I think it was an interesting discussion. But we got to the wides, the, the new wide head, or not new now, but when you came up with a wide head, yeah. um, the first year I shot, it was a big doe, and it literally went through the ball portion of the ball and socket bone uh, uh, joint of the shoulder blade and the leg bone of a doe, it literally cut that thing, the ball portion of that joint clean in half, smooth, clean. Like it didn't shatter it and break it apart. It just sliced it in half and then exit. It just went completely through the dough and then stuck like six inches in the other side of into the ground. If I'm shooting like that and I catch a, a rock, and I just take the front of that broadhead and I just either peen it over or or it snaps off or shears off or whatever. You guys take care of that. Yeah, that's covered for sure. Done. Yep. Awesome. So that and I agree with I I I applaud the change that you made for your warranty because you're absolutely right. Cause because everybody was talking, I can I my mind absolutely can snowball out and see where you guys were dealing with. Cause at the time, so many people were talking about the durability of your heads. I could absolutely see where people are buying them. And then you're, uh, I only got 27 shots into a concrete wall before it failed here. Send me another one. It's like, okay, hold on a minute. You, how, what, you're just chucking. You know, it, it held up well to the first three shots on the, on the steel, you know, the steel rhino or what it's like, okay, what the hell are you doing to the head? I mean, you, you, you know, that's not, yeah, yeah, no. You're, it, we had we had one guy shoot a whole six pack into a log, and then and then pulling them out with pliers by the threads, you know, damage the threads on on all of them, and then want them replaced. And you know, our warranty at the time, you know, I called the guy and talked to him and said, yeah. you know, it's you kind of like you abusing it that it's gonna ra- it's gonna raise the price for everybody if I keep yeah. if I keep the warranty as it is and just send you a new six pack every time you want to just do something. Stupid. Foolish like that. So anyway, <laughs> you can say why, stupid. You would be that's stupid. Why we had to change it. I don't want to, inc- you know, I didn't want to keep replacing those and then increasing everybody's. Oh costs. yeah. So, so we yeah, got no, that, that, part that, 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 that it's absolutely legit. You, you have to have some responsibility in what you're shooting and, and what you're shooting into. And that's the other thing too, is, you know, I think there's enough what uh, a podcast out there, uh, your website, there, there's enough info when it's new, there's, you know, this uncertainty where you're like, mm, I hear this, I, you know, I, I can listen to this celebrity or I can listen to this Joe Schmedley and he can sing the raves of this product knowing full well, maybe he's getting a little kickback or, for, or something off of it. Mm-hmm. There's enough independent reviews out there where people can say, okay, yeah, the, these things are, are, they're built like a tank. They're stupidly sharp. So no, you don't have to abuse them to prove it to yourself when you get the dang things and you pull them out of the box, you look at them, you're like, Oh, okay. This is different. You know what I mean? I mean it, you, you, okay. This yeah. is different. So take care and shoot it. And I would also say this too. I can, I can see this happening. You know, somebody has got a two or three year old foam block, you know, a block target or whatever. That's, you know, barely holding the uh, field tips in the, in the, in the target. Yeah. No, these suckers are going to go, Point, yeah, those, right those, layered foam, those layered foam targets um no it'll blow right through that in the first shot typically yeah so um, you got to be careful of what your backstop yeah is. you don't want that those thin you know thin layers that are um, thin layers of foam that are stacked up kind of 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll blow through those. You want a little denser foam, like, um, yeah, um, you know, what do I have out there? Reinhardt Matrix. Um, uh, I would Matrix. bet the uh, the oh, um, oh Morel. What what what's the anyway? Morel makes a a, a kind of a, a a cube style target that's not layered like that. So yeah, yeah, kind of a solid foam target. Those work. Those all work pretty good. So. Anyway, no, I, it, 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 it did. It took me a little bit. I, I'm always that day late and a dollar short on new stuff because I'm always skeptical. And, I, and also, there's a lot of times when a new product hits the market and it's it's legit good idea, but they've got some serious, you know, they're tripping on themselves as they roll it out into the marketplace to where it takes a, a season or two for them to kind of get their legs under them get things perfected, get the, you know, the, the unintended, you know, oops, I didn't think about that or oops, or we didn't make that. And so they just kind of fine tune it over a season or two. That's usually when I entered on the scene, I'm like, all right, you've, you've kind of been out there for a little bit. You've, you've kind of got your legs under now, now let me check it out. And so once I finally went down that road and quite honestly, and again, being full disclosure, I know you've listened to them and I know plenty of other people have listened to them. There was a time and I was on Aaron's podcast and I challenged him because I, I had not listened to him talking about some of the mechanical stuff. And I told him, I said, I, at the time I was, I had iron will heads in my quiver, but I would also have like a rage hypodermic in my quiver because depending on what the shot was going to be or, or what was going on or what happened, whatever, I liked the, uh, I liked the idea of having a massive now this is prior to I believe it was prior to your wide cut heads coming on the uh, mm-hmm. on the market, but I wanted the ability to have or the option to have a massive, you know, mechanical style, you know, massive wound channel, and you know we we had our little debate, went back and forth, and and Aaron corrected me on on some of his opinions, you know what, what we talked about, but then fast forward a couple years when the podcast you were listening to. You know, and this, and I, and I think we could probably pick up here on what you and I were talking about uh, the other day. I still think, to this day, I really do think, and 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 I, I will use names. I, I, Bill, let's do this. Let's use names when names are relevant for the discussion, but we can leave out mm-hmm. some of the other names on some of the heads that doesn't, you know. So for me, a rage slip cam engineering design. Now, and you're the engineer. Eviscerate me if you will. But I've always thought that the original slip cam idea was the best mechanical broadhead idea that I'd seen in the market. And I'm not even, I, I hate, and, I, and so I'm hoping we can keep the video rolling. I hate the jackknifing type, you know, mechanicals that, you know, that, that the blade, bends right. back and then rolls back and then go no the 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 no let's just skip those because the efficiency and the all the problems and there's just so many problems that can come up with those now i'm not t- for those people who are listening they use those heads that have not had a problem with them that's fine i understand that but when you're talking about iterations over time the problems will reveal themselves okay i'm glad that you have not had a problem yet and i hope and I pray that you never do. However, those type of heads have inherent 
design issues that are going to, at some point, if you have enough repetition, rep, uh, rep, uh, repetitions, you're going to, it's going to manifest itself. Okay. So I like the rear deploying style mechanical head. And I think the rage style was the best. And I loved the hypodermic because that little needle sharp head, you know, tip would just dive in, catch, and then the shoulders of that slip cam would hit and those blades are going to come out. And here we go. That was when it was the original company and original design and the people that were originally in charge of the quality control. Now, I have no idea because Faradine bought them. I have no idea what they've done recently. And quite honestly, I don't care. Not being malicious, just don't care. Because there was a period of time and I saw it with my own heads that I was using. And in the tripan wasn't as bad. There were some issues with the tripan. But between the, the hypodermic and the tripan, after that company sold, in my opinion, and what I saw on the landscape out here with other hunters showing up in camp and shooting deer, there were some serious quality control issues to where they were failing more than they were, they were effectively functioning. And I, I had to, I had to take a hard look and I'm like, okay, we're getting to the point now. And I used to be the guy that used to, to beat the drum on no, 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 no. Mechanicals are good. And mechanic, you know, I, I had to start eating my own words. I mean, like the quality control is going downhill and these things are not opening the way they're supposed to be opening. Um, and what you and I talked about on the rage, what I, what I noticed was the, the, the dull portion of, so, uh, so on that slip blade on one side of that blade, you've got the sharpened blade now, and I'll let you talk about the, the steel that they're using. Um, but on one side of that blade, you have the sharpened blade, but on the other side, you have the dull flat side that is actually doing the slipping and, and engaging that ferrule uh, and, and, and is the driver, the, the, the Connecticut, the, the momentum through the animal, that's, that chunk of the blade is what is engaging the ferrule and causing that blade to open. And what I found was, however they were, what it seemed like to me, However, they were stamping out their blades, that backside was rough. And there was these tiny little, it would just be little rough edges that under load, you know, if, 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 the, if the broadhead was just sitting in my hand and it was loose, I could slide it, but you could feel it having resistance and be rough. But if you put any load on that, it seemed like those burrs would like just lock and it, it would just, it created enough resistance. This is my opinion. It seemed like it created enough resistance where the blade didn't want to open. And so for the people that were coming into camp and for me, if I wanted to still have my quiver, I would take the blades out. I would grab my little Lansky sharpening kit and I would essentially polish that dull side of that blade, smooth those burrs off. And then that thing worked like a charm, but it's like, okay, why am I spending money? on a head that I, as soon as I pull it out of the package, I have to disassemble, modify, and then put back, especially when, and you know this, and this is not a, this is not a, uh, uh, um, 
This is not a slam on, on, on the rage blades. They have to do this for their weight, but the tips of those blades ended up being very skinny and very small. And you catch a, a good hard chunk of bone and they just shear right off. And then, so going in, you catch the edge of the bone, like the leg bone, or you catch, uh, and, and, but I've, I've cut through a a rib before, but I'm talking like you catch the edge of a a leg bone or the edge of, you know, uh, you know, something, excuse me, solid. You shear one of those blades off the the tip of the blades off. And and now your cutting diameter is completely off. You, You don't have the mechanical advantage of that. You, you don't have your, your advantage of your massive wound channel anymore. So yeah. you, you came out with the wide head and no, it's not a two inch wide head, but what inch and three eighths. Yeah. Inch and three eighths wide main blade and three quarter inch bleeder. So there's two and an eighth inch total cut. Yeah. So when, when you look at just the inch and three eighths wide cut, the main cut, and, and again, like you said, that you got the three quarter inch bleeder. All of a sudden now, that's a freaking big hole. And you're dealing with a fixed blade. And you're dealing with the strength of the, the tool steel that you guys are using. And you're, you, you're getting the benefit of the, the sharpness that you're getting. It, it just, it turned into, at that point, it, it, it became a no-brainer. Why? And again, I... I, I kept, and I, I told you this the other day, and I'm going to tell you again now. I don't know when that, that slip cam, you know, patent runs out. But if Bill freaking from Iron Will ever decided to make a, a, his version of, a, of an Iron Will hypodermic, oh my freaking Lord, yes, please. I don't even care if you just prototype that shit and just send it to me. I, I, <laughs> <clears throat> with your so, tolerances, your steel, and that's and, and we'll get into this in a second. I don't even care if it's an oddball weight. You know, what if it comes out of 130 grains, 135 grains, or whatever? I don't care. Give me a give me a field tip that I can match with that, so I can cite that baby in. How sexy would that be, though? Come on now. <laughs> you know, I tested a, a lot of mechanicals. Um, you know, we we came out with our. B series and our S series, but it's, you know, relatively compact inch and a 16th wide main blade, three quarter inch bleeder, 1.8 inch total cut roughly. And we had, you know, a lot of guys were loving it for the max penetration you could get, but there was, you know, quite a few people would just say, you know, I want that bigger cut. Um, I like a mechanical for white tail or deer. I like to see that bigger cut, you know, if you hit back or things like that. And a lot of people were asking me to make a wider head too. And, you know, my, I pushed for quite a while. There is, Hey, you don't, you don't need it. You know, shoot to, close to the shoulder. You'll go through bone. If you hit it, you'll, it'll be a quick kill, but, but really um, I, I can see, you know, if you're going to hit back, hit liver um, guts, um, one lung, whatever, a bigger hole, they won't go as far. There'll be more blood on the ground. They'll go down sooner. Um, but I, I tested a bunch of mechanicals and I'm, I'm not going to name any by name or, or, or bash any in particular, but a few of the top rear deploy and, um, you know, the ones that are front deploy over the top and definitely say that the rear deploy take, take less force, um, to penetrate than the front deploy. Those ones where the, they have to swing over the top. Oh man. 
um, did they take a lot of force. Um, but even the, the even the rear deploy, you know, I, there's some there's some force plots on our website where I was I would take and push them using an instrument machine, so it's measuring force very accurately as it's pushing down distance. And you know, with mechanicals, I was getting oh 10 to 15 times the force to penetrate versus kind of an iron wheel broadhead um, and quite a few more times than just kind of a, a sharp fixed blade head in general. So tremendous amount of energy, but the biggest issue, bigger issue I saw is when I shot through scapulas and I shot some into leg bones, things like that too. But yeah, the, the blades just fail so easily, even, even just pushing through hide by itself um that's what i you know i started measuring the hardness of the blades to figure out what's going on here and they're they're typically a 420 blade steel so kind of a low-end steel really anyway for a blade and then they're typically 46 48 rockwell so that's versus most fixed blade replacement blade heads are at least like 50 to 52 rockwell there's a big difference between those and and how sharp you can get them and how well they retain the edge so what I saw is you go through hide and they're dull. For sure, when you hit a rib, they're dull. So, you know, as you're pushing through tissue beyond that, a lot of that tissue is pushing aside. And that's actually what I called you about to see if, hey, do you think those blades are actually collapsing back? Or do you think that the tissue is just kind of stretching around? And that's why you see a smaller hole through. Because I've seen that with um, with dull blades that, and you can you can test that yourself, you know. and um, friend of mine, Cody Greenwood was testing recently where he was like pushing through like liver and lungs. And, and he said with an iron wheel head, he got the full width cut through these very soft organs, you know, cause it, it doesn't take any force to cut through if the edges are really sharp and retain their edges. But if you have dull edges, you're kind of more tearing a small hole and the tissue is just kind of stretching there. So anyway, pause, pause two seconds. I, okay, go ahead. Dude, man, this is, this is going to be fun. Because I'm I'm already making notes and 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 I the beautiful thing, so what was it? It was two days ago. So it was yeah, it was Tuesday. We were talking, and we were gonna do this yesterday, and then both of us ran. I ran. I I ran out of time, and then so in in that span of time, I had a chance to sit there and machinate on some of what we talked about, and I want I want to I'm I'm gonna push. It's not pushback. I'm going to take that thought experiment, experiment, what we were talking about uh, as far as the dull and pushing stuff on the side. I want to dive into that, but I need to make two notes a minute. Um, hold on. Uh, Cause we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to do a Jen Saki here and I'm going to circle back on, on some, some stuff here in a second. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry. I know there's a lag in there, but I don't care. I'm, I'm so, cause, cause what I want to, you touched on something just a second ago and I hadn't thought of it and, and I want to go back to it, but you're on, you're on a roll right here. Cause this is literally what you want. You were wanting to talk about. So Tuesday. So, <clears throat> and, and we don't, and if here we're going to plug Aaron. So if anybody wants to know the discussion where my, my issue with a certain mechanical head, I was talking with Aaron on what I he's, he's huge on this particular mechanical head. And I was like, those things are freaking junk. And he was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, what I'm talking about is I had him in camp, several very accomplished, very skilled, very um, legit 
these are my friends, but these are also professionals that I would send anybody to and trust anybody with if, if they need archery, bow hunting set up. I mean, these guys are legit. They showed up to, to, to hunt deer with me and this head had just come out. There's no way we're going to dance around this bill. Let's just call it. Okay. So it was a sever heads. I'm, and, and, and I'm going to say sever because we already talked about it with Aaron. So I don't need to, I don't need to be cagey on mine. Uh, I spent how much time with, it? so they were the sever heads. Okay. So originally it was the, the, the design of the sever head was originally the, the Ulmer edge. Okay. And when it first came out that Kurt guys was still alive, he, you know, people know he's my best friend and, and we looked at it and there were some, there were some design things that we were skeptical on. Well, how, over time, blah, 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 blah. It hands changed. So sever is the, is the maker of this particular head. Now, Aaron loves them. And he says that they've made some changes, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I don't know. All I know is when sever first came out, we had some guys show up in camp, like legit folks that know what the hell they're doing. And every single, so we lost one deer we were able to recover a second deer because it got hit in the spine. And then the third deer, he 12 ran right through the heart. But in one trip, three guys now, it, and, or excuse me, one trip, two guys, three deer. And there were other people that showed up in camp as well, but these guys are legit freaking guys. Okay. Every single head did the exact same thing. You walk up to the animal and the entrance hole through the hide was just ridiculously massive. I mean, you just, it, it was just like a freakish horse. You're like, oh, that thing's nasty. And then you're like, okay, well then why did we recover that one? And, and then what's going on? So I, and this is what we talked about. I got out here for our whitetails. I got all of our animals and regardless if it's a, a buck or doe, if it's a buck that they want to mount, I will actually cape. I will start the caping process in the field. I will pull the brisket uh, hide and hair up over the brisket, but I will still cut the brisket and open that brisket up and everything, just so we can get all the esophagus, everything out and, and open that thing up and cool it down. Cause we like to bring it back. Hang. I like to get a good weight on it just to, for being able to track the health of the animal and what, and what we're doing from year in and year out. So Anyway, we got the animals and I open everything up. When, when I open everything up and we open that chest cavity up, that gives you a great opportunity to actually look at what the arrow path was through the chest cavity of that animal. And what I saw every single time, and this is what I talked about on Aaron's podcast. And, you know, he said that they've made changes. Okay, great, whatever. But this is what you heard. Um, it the hole going in might've been two plus inches. But when you looked at the hole on the inside of the rib cage, going through the tissue of the ribs cage, it was three quarters of an inch wide. And then on the, so coming in massive outside, by the time it comes, it, it starts to enter the lung tissue. It goes through that interstitial muscle between the, the ribs. It's three quarters of an inch wide. And same thing as it's going through, as it leaves that chest cavity and goes through that other wall. But then when it comes out, it, 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 it might be a different size. And my theory, 
was that the blades, because how that works is that blade gets swung out. It hits the little shoulder and we don't have to talk about the shoulder and all that stuff. But anyway, the shoulder catches, it swings those blades out. Then when the, when it, okay, so the tip is going through the animal. It hits the shoulders of that, of the blades. It engages those, those shoulders. It drives those shoulders back, which swings the back of the blade out. And then the blade starts to make contact with the hide, which then puts force on those blades, which wants to cause those blades to close back up. But they have, they were supposed to have a mechanism by which a little offset, little catch where those blades locked together and bound together. And it, it kept them from closing. My theory was it wasn't catching and those blades were closing back up. And then the difference between the shoulder and the back of the blade, it was finding that, that common, anybody that's good with physics knows when you're going to balance that force out, the, the, the head is going to find an equilibrium of force on the front and the back. And my thought was it found that equilibrium of force at about a three quarter inch wide opening. And then when it went to the other side and started to engage stuff tip, when that, that shoulder hit harder material again, it would start to open up. Now, you brought up a good point, and this is where it segues into what you just talked about. You had asked me, was it an issue of them not locking open and they were actually collapsing, or was it that because they are a softer material, could they have been losing, losing that edge sharpness and rather than cutting material, it was simply pushing it out of the way and basically stretching that material kind of out of the way. And the only part of that, imagine for people uh, that are watching this, if that's, we don't have any graphics on this. I would imagine like a boat wake, you know what I mean? Is you see a boat moving through the water, it's creating a wake behind it. You know, the wake behind it is moving out in the water, but it's only the, the, the water at the bow that's breaking, you know what I mean? That that's getting choppy, that, that that's being penetrated. You've got the larger wake behind it, but the, the penetration is happening at the bow of the boat. Your thought was, is, is, is the tip of the broadhead going in and it's stretching and only that first three quarters of an inch of tissue is actually being cut where the rest of it is just getting stretched out of the way. And then as the broadhead and the arrow move through, it kind of snaps back. Did I, did I sum that up? All right. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I was wondering when I heard you guys talking. And, um, and you know, I, I like to geek out on this and try to figure out broadhead failure modes and, and, and what, what different failure modes there are and what causes them. But I've seen that with just like fixed heads that are replaceable blade heads that have thin 420 steel blades um, that, you know, and, I, and I've measured this, they dull through hide and certainly hide in the rib. And, and I've seen where then you, it is that if they're running along a lung, they're not slicing that long. They're just pushing it aside um, or the liver too. Now, if it's going right through it, it's going to put a hole, but you're not going to see like a full three blade or four blade cut through those organs because they aren't sharp. And they just, a lot of that just stretches over. And, and I think that's part of the reason why guys will say, man, I pinwheeled that deer, got a double lung or whatever, and it didn't bleed much. And then, man, it's sure, you know, it lived a lot longer than I thought it should. And I feel like a lot of times that's 
dull blades and smaller holes and not cutting as much um, inside as it should. You know, it's not bleeding out fast enough because of All those right. issues. All right. Now, this is where I've had a chance to sit back and, and think about this a little bit. And I and I this escaped me the other day. Hold on. No. Oh, did I get rid of them? No. Hold on. I'm I'm in my studio, so I've got like everything here. You you talk brother this is why i love you man you, you talk about you geek god on this stuff really so do i so this, this is why it took me forever and a day to, to figure out what backpack to get you know kafaru pack hold on because it, it, i know i'm i, I should have done this before it took me forever and a day to, to settle on a kafaru pack because i was just over Aaron was like, you're overthinking it. I'm like, no, I'm not overthinking it. You, you, if, if you're going to say you're going to do it right, do it, do it over. Right. You know what I mean? No, I, I, I know for now I'm remembering. I completely, for, I, I got, I threw them away. Dang it. So I, okay, just like you, I'm sure you have a garage slash warehouse of like equipment that you had since 1992 and you, you still have it. And, and that's what I have. I've got like tubs and tubs and tubs and tubs of just gear. And it was strewn all over our house. basement, closets, up in the office, out here in the garage, in the studio. And, you know, my wife was like, organize, just like, or just, that's why we built the garage. That's why we built the studio, just consolidate. I'm like, all right, so I, I've got a stack and I had tested and i have a youtube video on this one as well on using those head chopper style broadheads for turkeys hmm. the relevant point the set the the, the 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 junction here i tested the magnus bullhead which i still think is the best head chopper style broadhead out there like you know it's it's a good it but we don't have to go on that very very sharp actual blade but then I also tested the Gobbler Guillotine, uh, whatever it was the 2.0 version, their, their updated version. And I wish I still had, I thought for sure I still had them. Um, and now I'm remembering I got rid of them because I was never going to use them again ever. <laughs> I think they were, it was a four-blade design. Okay, so Magnus Bull has a three-blade design. These were a four-blade design. And they were designed to where you could un, you know, loosen them and then you could collapse the blades to where they would fit in the quiver better. I mean, again, this is where we go to idea is awesome. Translating that into the field, there were some issues there. The biggest issue that I had with them, there was two issues. One, because of the way they had them go through the ferrule, it was such skinny material that became the weak point. So if you clocked a turkey in the head with them, they would bend. I mean, they would just flat bend. I think they were supposed to be made out of titanium or something like that. I, I'm almost positive that's what the blades were. That's what they, they claimed that, you know, anyway. But here's the deal. Di oh, that's what it was. That's what it was. Diamond edition gobbler guillotine is what they were called. Oh, my brain does not. And, and the reason why is because the blade was shaped like a diamond. So there was a front and a back. So you could 
theoretically flip them around. Okay. So the, 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 the diamond port, the, the skinny edge going towards the head, the turkey, you shoot one bird there, gets a little dull. You can pull the thing about it, flip them apart and use the backside and bam. You so see, you got two heads in once. Yeah. Theoretically. Uh-huh. No, here's the issue. <clears throat> and besides the fact that as soon as you hit a, a turkey in the head with them, they would bend and then your blades SOL and you, you yeah, unless you want to bend them back. But anyway, the issue I had was that they weren't sharp. Okay. It was a pointy edge, but it was not a blade. Hmm. And I started thinking about it. They weren't, it wasn't that they were a serrated edge. And, and, and what I was thinking about earlier was, okay, let, we can take, let's, let's take a steak knife. Uh, let's, let's look at steak knives versus uh, a butter knife. All right. You can have a butter knife that is, that has a functioning blade portion that is just butter, like just glass smooth, right? Just, just perfectly smooth. It's not sharp. You're not going to cut a steak with it, but you can run your finger on it. And it's, it's just really smooth and it's just like glass. However, there are other butter knives that have a little tiny, just like a little tiny micro, little bit of a serration on there. There's still a butter knife. You're still not going to be able to cut your steak knife with them very well, but now they, they're just rough. You know what I mean? There's a tiny little bit of a serration on that uh, portion of it. The diamond edition gobbler guillotines, they, they weren't serrated, but they weren't smooth. They weren't like a polished, smooth surface. There was a, there was a roughness to them. All right. I tested both out. Uh, how, I, I, we, we, Kurt, Geist and I did a full on, it's an hour long video on it. It's an awesome video. I still think it's the, it's again, a couple guys geeking out on gear. We, we overdid the whole video. It's an hour long, but it will take you from start to finish. You ever want to shoot a head chopper style broadhead? Here you go. And we were comparing the two. When I took it into the field, now they flew and everything else. And there were some issues why, you know, there was some efficiency stuff differences, but here's the relevant point. And this is why I'm kind of, I, I want to push back a little bit on, or a, a challenge, challenge your premise a minute on stretching. When you use the gobbler, well, excuse me, when you use the Magnus bullhead, which is an actual blade, like sharpened blade, like you'll cut yourself if you screw around with it. Dude, man, you shoot a turkey in the head and it's zip. I mean, that head is just, it's, it's, if you hit it right, it's just off. And if you don't, I mean, but if you don't hit it to where you lop the head off, it just goes sick. And I mean, it just, it just slices it like a samurai sword and they're just, they're, they're toast. Okay. However, you use the diamond edition gobbler guillotine. That thing hit like a Mack truck. It just, ah, and what I found was even when you, it didn't matter. You catch them square, like the feral catches the 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 vertebrae. You know, I mean, you twelve ring that sucker right in the in the neck. Versus, you're just a, a half inch or an inch off, and the blade catches the flesh of the neck. 
it tore the ever-living piss out of that head. It was brutal, gruesome. It was effective. Was it clean? No. But it still did the job. That got me to thinking about what you had talked about. And I think maybe we, I, I may be conflating our conversations, but, or me thinking today in our conversation the other day. When you're talking about flesh stretching out of the way because of a dull blade, I'm, I'm, and, and Again, you've done the testing, so eviscerate me with your knowledge if, if you want, if you do it. However, we talked about that moment of inertia. Object in motion wants to stay in motion. Object at rest wants to stay at rest. I've seen your videos where you're using your tool to push down and you're, you're gauging force, you know, through hide, you know, meat and all that type of stuff. Yeah but it's a slow push. Do you feel, let me give you my bias and I'm going to ask, I'm, I'm just going to give my bias. I'm, I'm wondering if flesh does not have on a dull blade, flesh does not have. Oh, see, I'm, 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 I'm slitting my own throat here a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't let me, okay, you joked about the fact I laid my finger open. Don't let me move off the fact that how many times I've laid myself open on your heads, okay? Don't let me forget that because that this is that's relevant, okay? Don't let me, make sure I come back to that. My, my point is this, that flesh is static. It's just sitting there minding its own business. And then all of a sudden, this object flying at, I don't care if we're talking, let's just say a traditional bow is going 200 feet per second, or we're talking about a, a compound that's doing 280, whatever. All of a sudden, this object is going stupidly fast and engages that flash. An object at rest wants to stay at rest. Object in motion wants to stay in motion unless e acted upon by an equal and opposite force, right? Am I, am I conflating those two or those, it, that's where, okay. Yeah, Newton's so, first law of motion. Okay, right. so is there enough time for that lung tissue, heart tissue, liver to actually stretch and move out of the way and come back? Or is it going to do essentially what those other heads did and just tear? It may okay, and this is this is the this is what I wanted to talk about. There's okay, you've talked in the past about, and I'm not calling bullshit. I'm just I want to I want to I want to engage your brain. You've talked about the past of, of the beautiful thing about a stupidly sharp blade is it cuts every vessel. I mean, it cuts capillaries. It cuts. It cuts veins, arteries. It just zip. It's going through and it just lays it open. I can attest to that on how many times I've put your bleeder blades through my hands just, just on accident. I mean, they just, they don't stop. They just, boom, there they go. It's done. And it's one of those things where like, oh, well, 
I mean, it's like instant and you're like, ah, shit, that stitches. Awesome. And I mean, there's, there's like no hesitation. It's just laying you open. However, I've also gotten cut by other stuff and you get those jagged freaking wounds. I didn't, you might not get as much penetration from the jagged wound, but it's an, it's an ugly jagged wound. So I've got yeah, two got things. I, I've got two questions here. Do you think the tissue actually can move out of the way and, and, and not cut or, or versus it just gets torn now with, with it being torn, Absolutely. There's more resistance there, which means because you're tearing, you're not cutting efficiently. Yeah, mm-hmm. As you're tearing, you're just losing energy. So I can, abs- this is why I truly do believe on some of those, lo- and there's a, it's confounding variables, but this is where I can see where you don't get the amount of penetration that you get with your head, with, 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 a, with a sharp head. So understanding that, yes, if you go from left to right through the animal, and that thing cuts all the way through, you've got, you know, let's just say you've got it on an elk, let's say 18 inch wide cutting channel where you've got 18 inches of bleeding versus if you get it with a dull blade and it goes three quarters of the way through, you've only got say 14 inches or what, 12 inches of, 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 of trauma. But is that trauma because it, is it, is the trauma less because it stretched out of the way or is it just because it didn't get as much penetration, but it still tore? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, great, great questions. And a lot of people, and I've thought through these things, and I'll, I'll tell you what I think. But a lot of people, um, you haven't taken it to that level. Of, <laughs> <Did right? you? laughs> I'm guilty. Call me guilty <laughs> on that one. So, um, yeah, I measure, like when I measure in force for the instrument, it's 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 at a low speed. And, and I realized that, the force at higher speed is, is higher because, um, you know, tissue of blue scholastic material. And what that means is higher force, higher shear rates. Um, Okay. Stop. Stop. So stop. Stop. You gotta be kidding me. We, we, we had just talked about this at the beginning. You're your, the whole thing's locking up. The whole thing's locking up, so I missed a whole bunch of you stuff. The, stop the video. Yes, we'll just kill. Let's just kill. Just kill the video. Dang it! I really wanted to do. I was hoping to do. Yeah, kill your video, um, and we'll and we'll just we'll just do the audio. Dang it! Was really wanting to do video. Anyway, how about now? You got me now. Um. Oh no! Is it getting garbled up still? You still on? Oh, I think I think there he is. Okay, you're you back? I'm back. I can hear you. All right, good, good, good. Okay. Oh man, that made me nervous. Yeah, dang it. We had talked about the fact that you know it might get. Yeah. All right. But let's we'll just keep we'll just keep going. All right. So we're we're we're, we're we kill the video so we can maintain the good audio. So all right, so you got garbled up and it, it lost a little bit. So you on your on your little testing equipment, it's going slow. And you talked about the fact that yes, if you're if you're going at a at a higher rate of speed, you're going to have a greater force. Go from there. Yeah, so you know, I measure force with different, you know, with iron wheel broadheads versus a three-blade chisel point versus a like a three-blade uh, one-piece um, versus mechanicals. And, 
I'm getting the the force it takes to push down through something. And the reason that that matters is, you know, whatever um, you look at it as energy or or momentum. But if if you think about it as energy, whatever kinetic energy you have at impact, whatever um, useful energy you have that's transferred to work on the arrow, you know, work is force times distance on that arrow. So if you can cut your force down, you'll gain distance through the animal kind of one-to-one. So, you know, not, not many people talk about that or broadhead manufacturers, but I think it's super important. And that's why I've I've measured it to try and compare design improvements over the years. Um, But it's at a low speed. Um, And I realize, well, at, you know, 280 feet per second, it, you know, and quite a few people have asked this, does that translate to that speed? And what happens at higher speed on, on tissue. And from what I've you know researched there is it acts like a viscoelastic material. That means at higher shear rates, the, the force will go up um, to try and shear it or cut through it. So I think the forces I'm measuring are going to be lower than what would actually happen at higher speed, but I feel like they're, it's good relative data to compare them. Um, so you know, that's one thing about the force. I believe it will be higher when you're going through an animal. And your your next question of does it go, is there time for that tissue to stretch or move aside? Um, another good question. The, you know, it takes, there's some, there's some inertia to anything with mass and it, it takes some time to, to move when a force is applied to it. Um, I think it does just based on, you know, looking at wounds. And sometimes wounds have perfect slices, the width of the broadhead, and sometimes wounds have, have some tears. And there's probably some of each going on. It probably, it probably starts tearing, and then the force is going up because of that high shear rate and dull blades and tearing. And it, it really increases the force a lot to penetrate. And then that higher force is just pushing that tissue aside. And so it's probably a balance. Um, it's probably not completely stretching. It's probably tearing some, some amount of the whole size and then also just stretching some of it as well. That's, that's kind of my, my theory on it, kind of based on the physics and based on the testing I've done. You got, do you guys have, did you rent a high speed camera or do you guys have one? Uh, we, we have one. Um, yeah, it's, I would, I would be very curious, like take, and, and we don't even have to mess with anybody else's heads. We could take one of yours and just grind it in the concrete and make it dull as all get out and then take one of your new ones. I would love to be, I would love to test. I would love to test that theory and like, yeah, like just a- like literally watch it. You know what I mean? Like take a, like take a deer liver, put it up there and shoot at it with a dull, just a freaking stupidly dull head. Like maximize the effect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shoot, yeah. It, shoot it with it in, in that high speed and watch what that tissue does. Yeah, that's a great idea. I've done that with, with bones um, quite a bit, but not so much with tissue. But you're right. I could just do it with the tissue and show that it's, um, you know, measure the, the entrance yeah. hole. And then we could look and see how the tissue moves around it. Um, I've, I've done it with, with ballistic gel and you can see that stuff kind of ripple and move. And I think that's quite a bit denser than, than tissue. So I think tissue would, would move more easily than, than that stuff. That would absolutely, that would warp my mind. If, 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 if you 
showed me a, I, I mean i understand the theory behind it and, and i'm i'm tracking but sometimes theory and and you know what happens and you know i i would it would it would absolutely bake my noodle to watch a liver just morph around a dull head versus get sliced by now now again like i said no bones about it a a, a blistering sharp blade and this is why, again, this is why, and and I, no, you can't. Oh, this is why I love video because you get to see expressions. This is part of the reason why I started really paying attention to your heads is because at the time the only head again, Savora from from a a, a manufactured three. This is the time three blade broadhead, the Savora. Champion 125s or the Savora Champion 100s. The Savora heads were now, and I say the champion ones because they had a better feral design. They Savora had made a bunch of different type of, of heads, and their ferals were just worthless. I don't know what the heck they were thinking. But then they but the, the champions, man, they they had a needle sharp, tiny little chisel tip, which was tough as nails. And then it was immediately married up with these just stupidly sharp scalpels. And I, I vividly remember, I killed a lot of elk with those things back in the day. And back when I was shooting uh, a PSE USA spirit at, you know, like 200 feet per second, bare bow fingers, you know, it might as the only, the only thing that wasn't traditional about it was it had wheels and I would want now I'm shooting 2315s and 2319s back in the day that you know that the the aluminum arrows and I and I watched these arrows just zip through those animals full grown elk like butter just twink where the animal doesn't even know that it was hit by a head like by an arrow it wasn't until I started shooting iron wills that I had that same experience and for me, that is where we can talk, we can geek out on, you know, you know, tearing and cutting versus blah, blah, blah. For me, that, 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 that is, that's the money because we, I, and I know that you same thing and you've done a lot more diverse hunting than I have. There are places where you want to, that you go elk hunting that, you know, darn well, if, if, if I shoot this animal, and it bails off this mountain and, and drops down into that deep, dark, nasty hole. I'm screwed. I can tell you from experience, shoot, I've killed a couple of elk with a rage hypodermic. That air, and it's, I mean, they've died. I mean, like in a quickness because I've made good hits on them, but you can hear that arrow hit. I mean, it just, co-wop. I mean, it just hits them like a freight train. Because there's a lot of resistance on that head going through that body. So it, it just punches that entrance hole. Whereas when you're dealing with a, a, a head that is just stupidly sharp, it doesn't even slow down. And it almost makes no noise. It just goes zip through that animal to where they have no clue in many cases that they've even been hit. To where they literally just walk or they trot off a little bit and then just turn around and stumble and fall over. That, that to me is where sharpness shines. Does that make yeah, I sense? Think that's, I think that's huge. And yeah, most, 
most animals I've shot in recent years have, have died in sight. And it's because that arrow is through them so fast. It's, there's not a lot of force on them. There's not a lot of, yeah. it's not like they're getting kicked in the side, like when they Correct. hit with the mechanical. And a lot of times they'll run 10 or 20 yards and like, look around, like, you know, what, what was that? Um, and sometimes stumble and drop right there, or it, they're, they're not shocked to the point where, and I think, you know, part of it's that big slap as it, as it enters, it takes so much force just to get to the high, to get through a rib. There's a lot of force that's hitting them in the side. And then when the arrow doesn't pass through, but it's still hanging in them, you know, that freaks them out as well. And so, yeah, I think they're a lot more likely to, you know, put some, put some yards on there and, and, you know, get the adrenaline up and go as far as they can. All right. So I, I, before I, cause we talked and I'm going to say, we're going to get to some of the other stuff we talked about, but I just thought of another thing again, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to ferret out every rabbit hole that we got here. Um, cause we, you and I haven't talked in a while. Um, I started off with a, you know, obviously you came up with a vented first people complained that they were loud. And so you came up with it, which I think was bunk. I think that was bogus. You know, people said that, well, the vended head made a hiss and it was loud. So it was a bunch of garbage. I'm like, have you ever shot a slick trick? Have you, have you ever shot any of the other, you know, four blade vented head? Come on now. It, your head in my, no, it did not make any more noise than any other, in my opinion, any other vented head that was out there. But regardless, and then you came up with a solid, which I was like, okay, done deal. Because I also have killed elk with this back in the day when shuttle T broadheads came out. And that was like one of the, the, the most popular, like very, very popular when it came out because it was a solid and right. that sucker flew like an, I mean, it had a very, very small cutting diameter. It flew like a field tip and it sounded like a field tip. It made like no noise. Okay. And I loved the shuttle T for that. I just didn't like the other secondary, you know, the small cutting diameter and blah, blah, blah. But you came out with a solid and I'm like, okay, well, end of discussion because that thing flies like the field tip legitimately. And it's dead. I mean, the, the loudest part of your arrow setup is going to be your fletching. That's the other thing too. And I, I don't mean to segue and I'm not trying to throw cast on the people that I, that we, I, I just laughed and I, I, I had to point it out to a couple of them. You know, they're, they're sitting there like, oh, the, the, the vented head makes too much noise. I'm like, dude, you've got blazer veins on your freaking arrow. Don't even talk to me about you're sensitive to sound because Kurt and I, Kurt and his wife, Ann and his daughter, Kaylee at the time, or not at the time, still the daughter, but I mean, back in the day, we went to my house in Colorado and we shot blazers, AAEs. Um, we, we shot like three or four different uh, fletching styles. And literally we didn't even have to finish. Well, we finished one round. So how we set it up is it was all field tips. The target was 40 yards away. I had, a uh, the horse barn and the way that I could shoot is we could shoot. Basically Ann and Kaylee would sit inside the horse barn in a protected, you know, environment, but the door of the horse barn was open and we would shoot from their left to their right in front of them by 10, 20 yards, you know, they were in a safe position, but they could hear the arrow go by them. We literally did one round and we didn't have to tell after that round, we did not have to tell them which arrows we were shooting, which veins they were shooting. They could tell by the sound. 
and I'll tell you right now, blazer veins were the loudest veins that are out there. I mean, they just, they make noise, man. So the people, and I understand, trust me, I understand. You go to the archery shop, a lot of arrows are already pre, pre-fletched with blazers. And you may not know the noise. They're good. I'm not saying that they don't steer your arrow or, or help control the flight of your arrow. They're a good head. They're, uh, head. they're a good vein. But just understand, they make freaking noise. They're loud. So I just had to, I, sorry, I didn't, I mean, I just had to, I had to laugh at that. Cause I'm like, you're sitting there worried about your, your broadhead. Meanwhile, the back end of your, your, your arrow setup is just out there screaming. So shut up. If you want a quiet setup, I can steer you in the direction of an AAE vein and, and we can, we can go dead stealth mode, but then you came out with a solid and I was like, okay, end of discussion. I put a solid on the front of my arrow with an AAE elite plastic fletch 2.7, you know, the two and three quarter inch vein. Ho, 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 ho. No, that animal, ha- the only thing that animal is going to know is that there was a loud noise when my bow went off and, and depending on the bow you're using, how loud that is, but it was dead, but the both. The both both times though the criticism was was the original ones had that what inch and a sixteenth I think you said the the cutting diameter so it was a smaller cutting diameter and I was critical of that as well um, and and to the point that you'd mentioned earlier so at one of my earliest podcasts was a discussion on broadheads and it actually had the discussion of fixed blade versus and iron wheels versus a mechanical. Because there's two schools of thought that a lot of people have ingrained in their mind is, you know, those people that are accustomed to a really quality head like yours don't have any qualms about hugging that shoulder. Like, like tuck what I call that triangle, that, that pocket right up tight to the inside shoulder. But there's a lot of people that from when they first started bow hunting, right on through have always been told, you know, stay away from that shoulder, stay away from the shoulder. So they just defer to shoot behind what they perceive as the outer extremity of that shoulder, which in many cases predisposes them to shooting the back of the lungs, if not the liver. And so my argument was, okay, if you're, if you're the type of person that just defaults to, to shooting well behind the shoulder, man, you need a hole because you, 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 you're, you're setting yourself up to shooting yourself, just shooting one lung and liver or liver or heaven forbid the animal move or you flinch and you shoot them in the guts versus if you like to crowd the shoulder, just go with an iron wheel and just tuck that sucker right in there. And who cares if you catch the leg bone, it's going through, but then you, but again, then, then the wide came out and yeah. that changed things. Now, Here's my question. In the past, you've, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. This is my understanding, my perception. You have steered people for the wide head. You, you, it seems like in the past, you've kind of steered people in the direction of they're a good head for whitetails. They're a good head for, you know, smaller, uh, softer skin game, but you had, my understanding was you were still kind of leery about telling people to, to run them for elk. Now I disagree with that, but is, is that still your thought? What, what's your thought process? Mm. 
No, it's not anymore. Okay, but, good. All you know, right. <laughs> good. <laughs> you know, initially, um, yeah, you, you commented a lot of things that I, you said a lot of things there that I want to comment on. But um, yeah, you know, our original blade, it's, um, well, first off, yeah, the, the vent, our vented heads, they do have a bit of a shish or a hiss to them. It's kind of like, shh, shh. Yep. A little, a little bit more noise than a solid, but after after some people would question if that's a problem, um, I did some testing. I don't actually think it matters as much as others from my sound testing, and I'm not going to get into all that right now. But that little louder noise from the vents doesn't isn't really noticeable at the animal until it's relatively close. So I don't think it matters as much as people think. But anyway, the solid head, very quiet. Um, so if you're concerned about that, yeah, Shooter S series, a solid blade. It's it's stronger, it's quieter. Not that there's a, any issues with strength in the V series either. And you've got a ton of people that still shoot those originals and love them, but the solid does, um, it is quieter. It is stronger. Um, the, so the size on it, if you, if you add up the inch and the 16th main blade and the three quarter inch bleeder, it's like 1.12 inch, 1.812 inch total cut. So very similar to like a, a three blade inch and a quarter, um, type total, you know, amount cut. And yeah, and, and, and I argued for a while that, Hey, that's, that's plenty. Um, the, the advantage with that over say mechanical is it opens up these shot opportunities, shot angles, um, you know, frontal quartering on, I mean, to, to be honest, and I'm not going to say everybody should do this, but I've shot a number of whitetails and mule deer where they're quartering on. And I just aim for the top of the heart and I know it's going through the shoulder blade. Um, Correct. Especially on those downward shots like that, um, or through spine. Um, it, it opens up shots that would be probably failures on mechanical. So, you know, that, and that was kind of my argument is that, Hey, this is better than mechanical for these reasons. I think you do get guys that have always shot mechanicals to start aiming further back. And man, I don't like that. Um, I think the animal's gonna, gonna live longer and potentially suffer more, even if you just hit the back lobes of the lungs. Correct. Um, they can sometimes, and, and if you don't get that exit hole to really collapse the lungs, um, those just hit those back lobes, they can live a lot longer than you'd think they would <laughs> on lung hits. Um, and, but versus if you hit at the front of the lungs or near the heart, man, it's dead in five seconds. So that to me is the humane spot to shoot is, um, you know, top of the heart, lung area and bones are close to there. And that's why I think shooting, shooting a broadhead that can get through bones. If you hit them is the way to go. Um, but you know, with, with studying the different, that's why I started studying mechanicals and I really didn't change my mind about them. I don't like all the failure modes in them, but I really wanted to kind of understand them more, but that's when I really decided to come out with a wide head and test that for a couple of years. Um, it initially I was saying, you know, I was concerned it might not penetrate as well being ancient and three eighths wide main blade, three quarter inch wide bleeder. So two and an eighth inch total cut. So, you know, similar total cut to mechanicals. Um, and in, with the advantage that it slice, they stay sharp and actually slice all the way through, um, and, you know, make big holes. But I was initially concerned about, well, the penetration is going to be less because it was wider. And what I've, what I've found is that sharpness and edge retention are, are such big factors in that when I measure the force to push our wide head through, hide in muscle or hide muscle and scapula. I can't, I don't measure a force difference. Um, they penetrate like crazy for that width. Um, you know, in some of the testing I did early on, I shot this big boar, this big, uh, you know, hog down in Texas, 
through both scapulas and the spine and got a complete pass through through all that stuff with the white head you know and it it still looked like new so now cut through bones great and they just penetrate really well so okay so let's qualify it what is your setup? So, so everybody knows that they, they can judge their setup, you know, apples, apples. What are we sure, talking about yeah. as far as your, your poundage arrow weight, you know, draw length type stuff. Yeah. That, that test that I just mentioned there at that time, I was shooting a 70 pound bow, 30 inch draw arrow was in that 500 grain range. And okay, I've currently got two bows set up. One's at like 72, one's at 75. Um, and I'm shooting, I'm typically shooting 500 to 530 grains, but 30 inch draw that helps, you know, having a little more, ending up a little more speed, but my arrow is probably going in that 280 feet per second range. Um, yeah, you know, 500, 500, a little more five, you know, 500 to 530 grains with the different arrow setups I'm typically using. Okay. I just, I wanted to, so people understood when you're, when you're talking about that, I just want just yeah yep no good point um but you know a friend of mine blake we were down hunting deer in texas this year and he's shooting a recurve so i don't know what his speed is you know once you know 160 180 i don't know what they are exactly um he shot the wide head and just a really big bodied deer you wouldn't think it was a texas deer because that that deer weighed about 250 pounds um and he, he put it through the near side leg bone and, and cut that leg in two and buried in the offside um, leg bone. And that was with a recurve in the wide head. So it's, and I think he's, you know, pulling, you know, 50 some pounds there. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we joked, I, I joked about this on Tuesday. Uh, I call it morbid curiosity, but good look. Lo- Give me a wide head and let me just play with a one inch bleeder on that sucker. I, <laughs> I just, you, you give me a, I mean, I, and again, we talked about, we joked about the fact that it could be 135 grain head. I don't care. Give me a, give me a field tip that'll allow me to, to practice and get that dialed in. But I just, you want to throw yeah, I, I understand, you know, the, the rage, you know, it's like throwing an ax through an animal. Okay. All right, fine. This would be a tomahawk missile. I mean, this would just like I. It just I. I just I just want to see it. If nothing else, I just want to see it. But no, I'm glad to I'm glad to hear your updated position on the wide because I. That's what I saw. Like like I said, I told I said before, the first time I shot an animal with the wide, it went through the ball joint clean just it didn't break it it didn't shatter it it just cut it just zip through the ball joint and then stuck in the opposite and the ground on the other side like six inches it was like there's not an ounce of efficiency issue and and again the, and i don't and this is what i'm trying to remember now i i don't think i shot that elk with a wide i think that i shot that elk with a solid 125 um yeah, I don't think it was with a wide, but I, I've, if you're looking, if you're in that 500, at the time I was shooting 550 grain arrows, I backed that off down to about 500 grain arrows, somewhere around in there. But if you're 70 pounds, 
27 to 20. Well, how you said you 30 inches. You're, you're in that 27 to 30 inch draw length, 70 pounds, man, 500 grain to 550 grain arrow dude on an elk, especially if it's broadside or especially if it's, if it's a good legit frontal where you're just catching maybe a rib or you're just catching all soft tissue, Bill, that arrow ain't going to slow down. That, that, no, thing, it, that thing's just going twink right through done. Yeah. That's my, that's my new thinking on it through. And I, and I've, I've shot probably 20 animals with that wide in the last few years. Um, I, I love it for um, whitetails and um, pigs. I'm going to be shooting it for bears here in a few weeks up in Saskatchewan oh, as well. And, and really it's, and the reason um, I often recommend it for, you know, whitetails, bears, and not as much um, out West game is more of a distance thing. And it just depends on how far you want to shoot. I mean, I can shoot bullseyes with those, with our wide 125, which is a vented at 60. I mean, it, yes. I can't notice a difference there at all. I mean, yes. it, it shoots well for me to 60. Yes. Um, and at, at 80 or 100, um, I, I don't group it as well as I do our other heads. And so, I I'll carry, I'll carry a couple wides in my quiver and the rest are typically like our S125 or, or our single bevel 125. Um, I like both of those heads, but if I'm sitting over water, I just kind of know the setup is, is not going to be a long shot on elk. I'll put that wide in cause I know it's going to penetrate great. And, and then why not get a little bigger hole on it? Yeah. All right. So you were, you were like super sneaky there, but then you just, you just did a perfect segue. Single bevel. So we, you and I on Tuesday chatted about this and this is where, this is where we ended our discussion because it was getting too interesting. Yeah. You're asking some good questions there and well, and then we... yeah. So, I mean, so here we go. I mean, you know, there's this, this debate on single bevel versus double bevel and which one's better. And there is a, there is a very, in impassioned group of people that claim that, that, that a single bevel is better than a double bevel. And I asked you what, you know, the, the fear, okay. Not the, well, I get, well, the, the, uh, the assertion, there we go. The assertion is that there's two there, excuse me, <clears throat> sorry. There's two that a single bevel will rotate through flesh and the, the argument is that it creates a, a better wound channel. Um, and that, or at least some people claim that's a better wound channel. And then the other flip side is, is um, when it goes through bone or that type of stuff, it, it really is able to break that. Not only does it penetrate the bone and cut through the bone, but it, the, the spinning action opens up that bone, busts open that bone to where it allows the shaft of that arrow to go through more efficiently. Now, I had asked you your opinion on, okay, does it actually really rotate? Um, to which you, in your testing, you've shown, yes, it does. Um, and I added to that and I said, you know, originally I was initially skeptical of that claim. I'm like, well, that freaking that freaking rotate. Isn't that freaking? Well, then I ended up getting, somebody gave us, I don't remember what it was for, but anyway, we got a, uh, 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 knife set 
you know, the idea has a little butcher block thing and there's all, you know, like you have your chef knife and your vegetable knife and all your steak knives and all that type of stuff. Well, it, they were single bevel. They were, they were a single bevel knife. They were a very well-crafted knife. I mean, they're stupidly sharp. They're, they're a nice knife. I hate those freaking things <laughs> because I can't cut a straight line. You, you, you go to cut it, you know, like, especially if you're like cutting potatoes or you're cutting an onion or you, if you're cutting through something dense and you want to just cut straight, you're not going to cut a straight line. It's just going to, it's going to, it's going to just, it's going to bend. It's going to cut an arc through that vegetable because that single bevel wants to walk towards, I don't know, away from the bevel or towards, I don't know how you want to put it, but towards, it, it wants to walk, a, you know, towards the straight side of the blade. And so if I can't even hardly cut through a freaking vegetable on my chopping block, well, I, it, you put two of those opposite one another. Well, of course that sucker's going to rotate. And then you add to it, you know, if you have your bevel in line with the rotation of your fletching, your, your veins, oh, hell, that sucker is just going to just, it's just going to spiral through. So the, for me, uh, you could test this with your steak knives. Uh, yes, the single bevel is going to rotate. Now, my question to you, Bill, is this. Does it really matter as far as the wound channel is concerned? I mean, is it actually doing anything? Who, who gives a rip if it's a straight wound channel versus a, a, a corkscrew? Yeah. Um, so a single bevel versus double bevel debate, debate is, is pretty hot these days. Um, and yeah, like you said, if if you don't think a single bubble will, will cause some rotation, just take, take a single bubble knife. If you can find one, just try to cut down through a piece of cheese and there the pressure go. on that bevel was going to push it to the side and it's going to go at an angle instead of straight down. Um, and, and yeah, and, and you, and if you have a belt, the single bevel on one side, which is opposite of the single bevel on the other, it causes some rotation as it goes through. Um, and how much it rotates is going to kind of depend on, how dense the material is you're going through. Um, and you know, we've, you know, I, I had that failure on an elk shoulder blade in 2004. So that's when I started studying, uh, reading research, read the Ashby reports way back then, um, about single bevel, double bevel stuff and started testing, testing them both back at that time through, you know, elk shoulder blades for one. Um, but what I was seeing in my compound is that, you know, one of the things he said is that, um, that rotating torques the bone and pops the bone apart. And then, uh, you know, the bigger shaft diameter he was using at the time, it would clear that and get better penetration. Yep. Well, um, on bone impact with, a with the velocity of a compound, I see that, that bone popping apart, whether it's a single or double bevel. So I didn't see a difference there. I was, you know, I was getting plenty of clearance hole through that bone with either. Um, you know, I, I attribute that to more of a velocity thing and maybe the arrow diameters I was using. Um, but, you know, objects break, it takes a, you know, certain force over a certain time to get things to, you know, it's kind of this, I don't know if we'll go into theory too much, but there's kind of a a damage boundary curve theory that you need a certain force for a certain time to make things break. And with that, um, I think with that higher speed, it, um, 
you know, some things act differently when they're, you know, in, hit at a higher speed than a lower speed and more, more pop apart. But anyway, I think there was just a little, some differences there to why I wasn't seeing that much advantage with a single bevel. And the reason I like the double bevel better is just, it's, it's inherently um, a bit stronger edge when you have pressure on both sides of that edge is it's driving through versus one side where it's going to be more likely to want to kind of bend over or curl. And, and really, um, you need to be careful on what angle you have and that you have a really good steel, I think on a single bevel to make them effective. Um, so that's anyway, a little bit of a backstory and why I decided on a double bevel to, to start with on our product. And, and really for a few years, I was just telling people that would ask me about single bevel, Hey, a double bevel, I feel is better. It's, it's just got a better combination overall of sharpness, edge retention, durability, driving through something. And in terms of penetration, um, I don't really buy that you're going to beat it for penetration when something's rotating, you know, it takes kind of more energy to rotate. And so that was kind of my, my argument there. So um, a couple of years ago, I made some prototypes, but of our, of our S series blade with a single bevel, but, but really just to do some more testing and to kind of prove to people, Hey, you don't need a single bevel. <laughs> and uh, what I, what I ended up finding out is, um, I mean, I confirmed some of my thoughts that, yeah, the edges aren't as strong at that, at that typical 25 degree angle, which is when I talked to Dr. Ed Ashby, that's what he kind of recommended 25 degree single bevel, which is relatively thin. And it was, it wasn't as strong. It, I'd get some damage through heavy bone, um, or chatter when I hit, you know, small rocks and the earth and stuff. So I did, I increased that to 32 degrees. Um, and our A2 tool steel is, you know, it's very, it's a 60 rock we'll see hardness. So very high compressive strength, very high impact strength. And I feel with our steel in a 32 degree, a single bevel. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strong enough. It's going to go through bones and do well. Um, so I kind of solved that issue with them there. And, and then the thing that is kind of cool about them is the rotation. So, you know, when you hit an animal and I just, re I just did this um, a few days ago with our new hundred grain single bevel um, that we're just coming out with. I just shot, and that's our S100 blade that's just ground with a single bevel grind. So I shot those two through ballistics gel and you can see that the double bevel, it, you know, the blade was vertical when it hit and just stayed vertical through that. And it probably went 18 inches or 20 inches into that um, ballistic gel, clear ballistic gel. And then the, uh, the single bevel it hit, it was almost horizontal when it hit and then it rotated up to vertical. So you could, you could just see that channel cut right in there. Um, and by the time this comes out, there'll probably be a little video on our YouTube channel to show that as well. Um, and we've, we've even captured it on a deer and this is already on our YouTube channel where we had a high speed camera that they captured a shot on a big buck and you can see the, the fletchings rotating as that broadhead hits the animal and then they continue to rotate all the way through the animal and they actually speed up a little bit when it first hits. So, you know, we even, even confirmed it on animals that you continue getting that rotation. All right. So you, you're getting to your direct question now, is it a benefit? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in practical speaking, I can say that I've shot a lot of, you know, deer and elk and other animals with our S125 and now a bunch with our SB single bubble 125. And 
I mean, performance is similar in that they, you know, quick kills and, um, and that, you know, animals are dead, um, you know, with, with good shot placement. What I would say is that the, the, the single bevel with that rotation is kind of interesting. And I would say one thing I'm, you know, kind of in the order of the whole size, I would say that a single uh, or two blade head with no bleeders and a double bevel is just going to give that one straight cut through. Okay. Which can sometimes close up and give poor blood trails. Oh, um, whoa, back up, back up, back up, back up. Say that again. So sit, yeah. you, you said, okay, are you single yeah, bevel? Gonna, so, so uh, no bleeders. No, no just, bleeder. Just a two blade head. Oh. Are you talking a double, ble- double bevel or single bevel? Yeah. I'm not sure if I just said that right or not, but a double so I'm going to go from the low, like the okay, all right, probably right, the, right. the least blood trail to maybe the most okay. in, in these designs, right? Yeah, yep. So a double bevel, no bleeder. Okay. I mean, sometimes you can have um, just a, just a two blade head, no bleeder, um, with double bevel. It's just going to slice straight through. Sometimes you can have an incredible blood trail. Sometimes you can have a poor one. I just think sometimes that single slice can close up too easy. Um, in the hide or the tissue, just depending on the orientation as it's cutting through. Um, all right. The next best, in, in my opinion, um, or one thing that's slightly better is the two blade single bevel because you get some rotation. They call it kind of an S cut, but as it's cutting into the hide and it's rotating and it's, it's kind of a, a curved shape to it. And, you know, the, a lot of single bubble guys will argue that keeps the holes open better. Um, I wouldn't argue against that. I think it, it probably does keep the holes a little bit more irregular, a little more open versus the double bevel when you're just talking a straight two blade. I'm not going to say it's penetrates better or further. I think they both can penetrate really well, but as far as hole size. Now, personally, I like the double bevel with bleeder better than a single bevel no bleeder because I think that cross cut is important. You get an extra three quarter inch slice all the way through the inside corners kind of can't be tensioned when you have this cross cut and you always, they always pull back and leave some hole open that you can have um, blood coming out. And often you get very good blood trails because of that extra total slice, you know, going, um, you know, getting that total cut up to, you know, 1.8 closer to two inches than you would um, with this, with a single bubble, no bleeder. Um, all right. Now we get to the one that I've been testing the most in the last year or so, which is single bevel with a single bevel bleeder. So we have a single bevel grind on the bleeder also. So it doesn't resist rotation, but it kind of assists it or works with the main blade to keep rotating. Yeah. And now I can, I can send you photos. I've got like four or five photos of different deer and elk that I've shot where the entrance hole is a square, almost a perfect square. And it, you know, it's, it's still a bit confusing to me on how it can look so perfectly square, but as it's cutting and rotating, um, it, you know, it opens up a hole and, you know, no doubt that hole is more open than, than the single bubble uh, or than the double bubble, sorry, with bleeder, the double of bleeders is more of a cross and this, the centers do come out, but you don't quite get that square shape to it. But then also through tissue, um, it's not just a straight slice or cross cut slice. It's, it's kind of twisting tissue as it cuts it. So 
there's, I would say, um, you know, there's some more trauma there. Now, practically, does it matter, man? I still, I still love our S125. I mean, if I had to just pick one head that I'm 100% confident in, I've just killed a ton of bulls with it um, and all sorts of other animals. Man, that that's that's a great head. It's probably our it's our top selling head, I'd say. Um, even though it's a 125, I think it's just very popular for elk. I mean, I love the head. I don't I don't think the single bevels necessarily going to outpenetrate or outperform it. But the single bevel, and the reason I decided to come out with it is, uh, it's kind of cool that it does that. It rotates, opens up holes, entrance and exit better. If people, um, if that excites you, if you want to jump on a single on a single bubble bandwagon, I would say do it with the bleeder because I, I think it's, um, the performance is way better with bleeders than without. Well, I can, I can tell you there's, so there's, there's, there's two thoughts here. Um, well, actually three, but, uh, for mine, I, so I've, I have yet, I have not played with your single bevels and I'm getting very, very curious about doing so. Um, <clears throat> because I will tell you, and, and if anybody has, you know, questions. So the very first elk I ever killed, uh, buddy of mine, Ryan, and, and we were in college. I, I tell this story all the time that, you know, when I first started really, really rocking and rolling and elk hunting in, in Colorado, um, I was in college and I had a weekend to hunt, you know, get there Friday night, hike into camp, hunt Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and maybe, just maybe, if we were close enough to the trailhead, we would hunt Sunday morning too, but we'd have to get back because we had to work and go back to school. And the first bull I ever killed was with a Magnus two blade, no bleeders. Um, so those two blades were a double bevel head, solid steel, uh, just, just a two blade, solid steel, double bevel head. And that bull died within a hundred yards from where I shot. It was like, it was a 20, I don't remember what it was, 20 yard shot or whatever broadside. That bull died within a hundred yards, but it was a very wet year that year. And where I was hunting had a lot of, of, uh, grass and, and, uh, sunflower, just all sorts of vegetation. So it was very thick cover and, I can tell you the arrow went all the way through the animal, just zip right through it. The only reason why I found that bull and, and I 12 ring that sucker. I mean, double, I mean, double long right behind. It was just a, above and behind the heart, just a tiny little bit, double lunged him, Perfect. The only reason why I found that bull is because prior to him coming into the meadow, I shot him and he was in a wallow. And I knew I watched him leave that meadow that I shot him in and disappeared into this little pocket. I walked over, I picked up my arrow, no blood across the meadow, went over to where the bull disappeared, no blood. The only thing I found was a smear of mud on the vegetation. And I literally, Ryan and I literally followed smears of blood uh, of, of mud on the vegetation, right to, right. I mean, he just, he died at, I mean, at, on full run. I mean, he was full on running and, and he just done and just stove piled up. There wasn't a drop of blood until we got up to the, the 
site where he was laying. And then there was a pool of blood where he was just kind of laying from the, you know, offside, you know, the, the, the side of the wound that was laying on the ground. That sucker did not bleed at all. And this is the, that what, and I'm Bill, this is, I'm, I'm no joke. That is the memory that stuck in my head. I, after that experience, that was my first bull. And had it not been for that mud, I would not have, I, I, well, I mean, we would have picked the mountain apart at that point. We would have ripped every freaking tree out of the ground looking for that thing. But we found him because of the mud. And that image always stuck in my mind that that experience always stuck in my mind. And so when I first saw your heads, I was like, screw that. Cause it's not going to, that, that animal's not going to bleed. I want a three blade. I want a four blade. I want a big hole, you know, blah, blah, blah. Obviously times have changed and, and I've, I've experienced things differently. So I, I agree with And what happened was on my bull is it seemed like that arrow the, the blade went in vertically and it just went vertically through right between the lung or right between the ribs to point. And it just, I mean, it obviously cut him. It obviously created bleeding. He died, but however he ran and however those muscle fibers, as he was running, were moving against one another, that wound channel never quote unquote open. And so, a where your where the bleeder blades come in. A yes, I I agree with that wholeheartedly. I do like the fact now, and and I do agree wholeheartedly with what you said. Is even if you have the double bevel and the double bevel goes straight on through, you've got a T or a crisscross cut to where now if those muscle fibers are moved, let's say that the the main blade penetrates the body. And again, you know, it doesn't matter what happens in the, in my opinion, what, what happens in the lungs, the blood in the lungs and the heart and the arteries and everything else have to leave from there to the outside in order for you to have a blood trail. So it's got that blood has to flow out of that wound channel, having those bleeder blade holes. If that, if those muscle fibers are moving against one another, the side bleeder blade holes are now opening and closing and opening it. And it, you, you create this open, you, you create a, uh, you don't have a sealed wound. Yeah. I didn't want to, I mean, I didn't want to add bleeder blades. Remember I had a broadhead fail on an elk shoulder blade. I just wanted to get through that shoulder blade and get through some lungs. And, and I thought a bleeder would reduce the chances of that. So it, it wasn't what I planned to do. We tested heads for two years without them. My brother, um, Tim did a lot of testing with me and, and just, and, and a lot of times we get bl- great blood trails cause they were really sharp and then we were, you know, they were dying pretty quick generally, but once in a while we'd get like no blood and we just decided that, yeah, a, a, we got to add a bleeder. And, and once, and it took me a few years to really kind of be able to design a bleeder in without giving up some structural integrity. Um, and, but when I got to the point where I could do that, it was just as strong with that bleeder man, it's the blood trails, you know, just got way better. Animals were dying quicker because of the cross cut as well. Just adding that more cut. And yeah, yeah. Unless I'm hunting Cape Buffalo or something where it doesn't really matter what your blood trail looks like. You just need max penetration. Um, and then we make our buff series kind of just, just for those, you know, giant animals, but anything in North America, I, I totally like bleeder blades on it. Have you 
and that, I, this is what I don't know. Have you been able to get a feel though? I mean, is there more blood on the ground with a spiral cut or an S cut or whatever, you know, from a single bevel versus a, 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 a double bevel? I mean, have you, have you, have you been able to go and, and obviously you're not going to do a side by side, but have you been able to do kind of like an apples to apples comparison on how much, how much blood on the blood trail between the two? Yeah, I've, I've been trying to do that for a few years, to be honest. Um, and I, I often have been shooting a mixed quiver of, of like the S125 and SB125 and kind of alternate different animals I'm shooting and, and seeing what the performance is. I would say that the first buck I shot with our single bevel um, a couple of years ago, it was a, a nice old buck in Texas. It's probably the best blood trail. Yeah, I know it's the best blood trail I've ever seen on an animal, but you know, it, you kind of get lucky with the shot placement things too. I mean, it was a good shot. It was a white tail, shot him out of a tree. He was like 32 yards out um, behind the shoulder, you know, so it was uh, basically a hard shot with a, a low exit hole. And that buck ran, the, the arrow passed through him quick. Um, he ran about 20 yards and stopped. And when I looked at him, I thought I saw an arrow. I thought I saw my arrow hanging down from behind his front leg. And it wasn't until much later, I figured out what that was, but Street I saw what looked like a shaft just hanging down right there. And then he, and he stumbled about 20 yards and, and went down then in some brush. And that was actually, it was actually blood running out of him like a faucet. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it was perfect shot placement. Right. But with that, with that opened up hole, um, it was like in, in the blood trail, I've got a video that I posted when this, when I did this, this was a couple of years ago, I could repost it sometime to Instagram for people to want to see it, but it was like, you took a jug, um, you know, a gallon jug of milk and poured it out. If, if it was you know, full of blood, that's what that trail looked like. Um, it was crazy, but you know, and I tell this to a lot of people, you can't really just shoot you know, if people do that on, on one animal and see that, and then they're like, oh, this is the best broadhead ever. You really got to shoot you know, a number of animals in different places to get a better assessment of that. Um, I would say that it certainly isn't lacking compared to the, the double bevel, like our S125. And I've had a lot of really good blood trails. Um, when I've shot, when I've hit back, like um, I was just testing our 100 grand single bevel in Texas. Um, shooting a bunch of hogs down there. Uh, rancher really wanted to get them out of there. So we were doing a bunch of spot and stock hog hunting in the evenings. And, and when I, there's a few that I hit back and, um, you know, kind of either one long liver or just liver guts or just guts and good blood trails. I could just walk them. It wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't searching for blood. I could just walk that blood trail. Um, so those are, those are very good. I'd say for them being hogs for one big, hairy, you know, things with, with, um, thick hide and fat, um, and then gut shots, which don't typically bleed great anyways. Um, so I've, I've been impressed with, with the blood trails with them. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really why I decided to come out with them. I've, I've had a hard time coming up with something bad to say about them. Now, do I think they're better than, I mean, I love her, I love her S series heads. And, um, 
And, you know, I've been just taking turns killing animals with both of them and they're both performing really well, but I can't say, I can't really complain any at all about single bevels. And I kind of had to eat a little crow there when I didn't, when I said our, um, you know, you don't need them. I think I came out with them because I think they were, were great. I think they both were great, you know, with a bleeder personally. Um, and you know, people can choose what they want to choose out of the two of them. Well, the one, so, okay. So my next, my next thought then though goes, and you mentioned this earlier, <clears throat> Ashby would talk about a 25 degree angle on a single bevel. You guys found it better for durability at a 32 degree angle for your single bevel. Am I correct? Did we talk about it was on your double bevel? It's a 38 degree. Yeah. So a 30, uh, double bevel is 19 degrees per side. Um, so it's oh, a 38, 38 okay, degree yeah. total total okay. angle okay yeah. so yeah well all right but, but that's a that's a yeah. that's a strong okay that's a strong clarification you're right yeah so 19 degrees both side okay my question then becomes is the durability of that blade number one and number two resharpenability because I, i'm not sending my heads back to you going how oh, bill replace my now i i when i kill an animal i grab my arrow take it into the sink in my kitchen, wash everything off. I take the, the broad head apart, clean everything up, dry it off, come into my studio, throw it in my Lansky sharpener, throw a diamond polishing stone. And I just touch up the blade, put the dang thing back together, put it back in my quiver. Can you do that? practically with a single bevel sure you can sharpen you can sharpen single bevels um i kind of like i like a double bevel better for sharpening when you you know you're you know you sharpen like you would a knife where you're you're stepping through depending on how much how dull it is or how much damage there might be to the edge but you might step through a uh, if it's damaged you might start with a medium stone then a, a fine extra fine and and you can kind of grind back and forth on those two edges and, you know, you kind of work in a burr smaller and smaller and smaller as you go to finer stuff and, and just really hone it to a, a really nice edge. Um, and I kind of feel like I can do that. I mean, I, I, I hand sharpened the first 200 heads I made, you know, and through prototypes. So, um, before we really refined and got our manufacturing, um, multi-stage grinding and honing down. So, um, you know, I, I kind of like the double bevel better for and personally for, for sharpening, but a single bevel, it's just, it's all done on one side. You can still step through the different stones and on the backside, you're just kind of removing the burr. You aren't really, you aren't really grinding a bevel on the backside when you do it. Yeah. So, um, but, but it's similar. You can, and you can step down through, you know, finer grits and, and get them super sharp, um, as well. So, that's, that was one of the other reasons why I was a little hesitant to go with the single bevel is can we get it, you know, as sharp in, in, in production, in our grinding. And, um, yeah, it took a little bit to develop the process, but yeah, they are super sharp too. So I, I don't think there's a, an issue. Some people would argue it's faster because you're only grinding one side. Um, yeah, but you got, you kind of got to remove that burr as you go, but 
you know, long story short, you can get really good at doing either one of them. Yeah. And, and one thing I would, okay. And that's my question was just whether or not it would just be, you know, cause I know when I have to touch up my heads, I mean, it's, it's literally just that. I mean, unless I catch a rock, it's literally just the diamond finishing stone. Just, just basically I'm, I'm repolishing that edge. Yeah. Typically if I look at the edge and it, it looks fine. Um, and well, I should say, first off, often if I shoot through an animal and just go through into soft dirt or something, I just clean it up, see if I can still shave hair and put it back in the quiver, make sure it spins true. Um, Often you can go through, you know, I've gone through multiple animals with the same head without touching it up. Um, If, if you go into a little sand or something, it's, it's more likely to not shave hair, but if it looks, if it looks perfectly good by eye, typically I'm taking like an extra fine stone. And in about a minute, getting that thing shaving hair again, it doesn't take much because yeah. they retain the edges really well. And if it's not damaged, it doesn't take much. I, I don't go to like a medium stone and redress the whole bevel or anything. You don't need to do that. No. Um, it's, it's, um, I think I've got a video on quick touch-ups on our YouTube channel, just showing how I do it with a fine stone just by hand with it still on the arrow. Um, that's my first step. If, if I can get it, you know, often within a minute, I can get that edge shaven again. And that that's, I won't even take the blades out if I can do that. If, if it takes a little more work, then I'll pull the blades out and use like a, a knife sharpening type kit. Yeah. And, and just from a, um, this is going to be another good segue on, on something we talked about on Tuesday was, so I, I've resharpened. And again, I, I'm that anal guy where, I, you know, I've, I've got the head pulled apart to clean it out. Anyway, I just throw it in the landscape and just touch it up. I will say this though, you're, so anybody that looks at your head, you're going to see that, I mean, do you act, do you call it a Tonto style head or whatever? It's a, it's a, it's a two plane or two angled type head. So if you sharpen the front of that, the tip, the, the front edge of the blade, just be, just count you're, you know, well, let me rephrase that. Just be careful on, on what you're grinding and, and what you're sharpening, because if you take too much, a little bit too much material off of one side or the other, just remember that head is not going to spin the way it did before, just because you're no longer balanced off of the tip. You've, you've taken a little too much off of one side or the other, and now you've changed the axis point to where it, it, it seems like it's not spinning right. Well, that's just because you 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 took a little too well, much material off. I would say, yeah, you don't need to take that much off. And and I never recommend using like um a power, you know, a work sharp like power belt or anything like that. It's just yeah. I mean, they work great on knives, but they just take material off too too quickly and they'll round you'll round your corners off. Um and and often when I resharpen, you know, our factory grind is 19 degrees per side, but a lot of times I'll set up to resharpen it, say 20 to 22. And then you're really just doing all this, this little micro bevel on the edge and it takes a lot less material off and yeah. And you're less likely to, to move the edges in, you know, our, our edges are all straight, which to me is, is easier to sharpen, but I just yes. will set up, yes. set up on each, you know, one little edge at a time. So yeah, our, our um, Tonto tip, there's two edge, you know, there's an edge there on each side and then the main, the main longer edge 
on each side. I'll, you know, I'll just set up on one edge at a time as I'm sharpening and not try and hit them, yes. hit them both or swing through it. Cause you can kind of round corners when you do that too. Yep. Yep. Um, cool. All right. Well, then that brings me to obviously the most prescient point here is, and this is this, this rounds us back up to where we, we started. You did a single bevel simply to test the premise and prove why you did not need to. And then lo and behold, you're like, huh, this has got merit. And you brought that to market. So does this or does this not lend credibility to the notion that Bill needs to play with a mechanical? <laughs> well <laughs> i set you up i i just i just thought it, again like i said I, I i have two i have two if i could ask anything for christmas i just want one of two things for christmas a one-inch bleeder or oh, and or and if you're like if like santa was generous like i was like a really good boy that year santa was generous Give me a prototype of a iron wheel mechanical with your specs. Oh, hell. <laughs> yeah. You know, our, our whole product evolution is, is, you know, from the vented to the solid to the wide has been people requesting things and me and me thinking, well, I, what I try to do, I think, I think a good product development engineer doesn't, doesn't bring in his personal biases and make decisions, at, you know, ahead of time, but rather takes data on things and and makes kind of data driven decisions um, on on you know what's good or bad. And so, you know, going from the vented head to the solid head and testing the wide. Um, yeah, I didn't want to do the wide. I thought the wide would maybe not penetrate as well. Well, I was wrong. It penetrates great, and sharpness and edge retention just kind of trump everything there. And you know, and then a the single bevel as well. I did it more just because a lot of people are on that bandwagon in the last few years, and I wanted to get more data um, with something. Because, you know, honestly, so the heads I was testing way back, they weren't the same quality steel or sharpness or or other things that um, my heads were. So I thought, well, it's not really an apples to apples comparison unless I try to make the best single bevel too for comparison. Um, and then, yeah, I found things I liked about it and came out with it. Um, mechanicals, I don't know. I'm kind of drawing the line there. I think that there's so many, I mean, I hear so many horror stories from customers, you know, to be honest is why we have a lot of customers is because sooner or later, I mean, there's just a lot of failure modes to them. I mean, you, you can't really argue that there's just more, there's more ways they can fail. Um, and you know, those long, thin blades, um, they can break or they can hang up, um, just take, they can, they can hang up on a rib and just kind of bend and absorb a ton of energy. And you might, it might cartwheel the arrow. It might not penetrate where you think it would. Um, you know, it's there, there's just, um, you know, it can not open, they can open too early and veer off in flight. They can, you know, there's just, um, 
a lot of failure modes. Now, do I think I could design one better with better steels and, and, you know, I designed mechanisms for 25 years um, at other companies. So yeah, I think I could do something better in there, but at the same time, I don't, I don't want to come up with anything that's going to make people, you know, less deadly, you know, less effective. And that'd be my worry that there's, there's enough failure modes with them that, man, I really think like our whitehead is such a better choice. Um, it's going to give you a plenty big enough hole, a quick kill. Um, you know, I've shot and, you know, I was kind of against the whitehead to start with, but I've hit a couple deer. It seems like whitetail are the one things that you can count on to move on you when you shoot. And I've hit a few back, um, one lung liver or, or liver intestine. And, you know, they'll go, they won't go as far and they're hurting pretty bad. And they're laying down pretty quick. Um, that happened with that big 160 inch whitetail I shot last year. He was broadside when I shot. He ducked and spun, and that arrow actually cut along his hind quarter, and it it um, exited behind his opposite shoulder, and he ended up getting you know a gut, liver, one lung, and he ran about a hundred yards, and then he stopped, and I could see he was hurting, just went a few more yards into some trees, and um, and he he died right there, and I feel like, yeah, um, he went he was hurting and went down pretty quick for that, for that shot. I felt so, you know, I am a fan. I do believe that the wide, especially when hit back is better, but I, and I know a mechanical, a big wide cut through the guts is what a lot of people like, but I, but I think if, if on the other end, if you end up in the guts, if you end up in the guts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an argument I've had with Snyder before too, is like, he's like, well, what if you hit him and they're going to hit him in the guts? I'm like, well, yeah, if you know you're hitting them in the guts, <laughs> then the mechanical is fine. But there's a lot of options there, right? You, you know, you're probably not aiming at the guts, hopefully. No, you're aiming but, but behind the shoulder, and it could go either way, right? It could duck yeah. and turn into it, or it could shoot away from you, um, or just That's duck and hit the spine, too. So I, I'm, but I, I, now you, you, you acknowledged it. But you, you kind of—I'm going to call you out. You, you kind of glossed through it real quick. <laughs> you just said that the reason why you did your single bevel is because the previous single bevels were not an apples to apples comparison to what your double bevels were. So, in order to have an actual adequate test, you needed to come up with your own single bevel. So that way you could test things apples to apples with your other stuff. So in a way, what you're saying is just for testing purposes, you need to come up with a mechanical so that you could test apples to apples. That's kind of what I'm getting from. <laughs> uh, you know, it'd be interesting if I, if I, you know, if I find a lot of time on my hands, but I don't, I don't see that <laughs> I don't see that happening real soon. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, all right. So I, I tried three times. Dang it. All right. <laughs> all right. Then, then, all right. I've, I've kept you here uh, a fair bit of time. If you don't mind, I'd like to ask you two more questions and then, right. and, and then we can kill it. Uh, well, actually, actually, actually it's one question. Cause I was one clarification and then one question um, earlier on, we were talking about, you know, especially with whitetails or, you know, it, well, especially with whitetails. You know, if that animal's depending on how that animal's angled towards you, we were talking about if you know, with most modern bow setups, I mean, just hug that 
front shoulder and you're going, I mean, just, just aim like what you, I think you said it is just aim on the heart and send it because if there's a show, if there's a bone or so, it, it, it's going, it's going through. Yeah. Aim at the, qu- aim at qu- the top of the heart and yeah, let it fly. That's basically my, what I like to do on deer. Yeah. The, the, the qualification I will say is for the average adult male. If, if, if you're, if you're running 65 to 70, and maybe you can even make the argument of 60 pounds to 70 pounds plus if you're running a, a 450 grain arrow plus uh 27 inch draw length or better, you're going to have the momentum kinetic energy, whatever you want, whatever metric you want to go by, you're going to have enough to punch through that. Now, if you're a woman pulling a, you know, I have a shorter draw length, pulling much less uh, draw weight, or you're a kid doing that. May, maybe I, I, and this is this this is the thing that shocked a lot of people when you know when I get a lot of first timers that want to come hunt with me, and there's kids or ladies that want to come hunt. Your the I, I will absolutely tell them you need to go to an iron wheel head or you know something similar you want to maximize that efficiency. If you're not pulling heavy poundage, if you're running on short draw length, you're already hamstringing yourself on, you know, yes, modern bows these days can produce stupid amounts of kinetic energy or or momentum or whatever you want, whatever metric you want to use. But oftentimes those are 70 pounds, 29 inches, blah, 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 blah. Well, if that's not you, if you're pulling 50 pounds, 45 pounds, and you've got a 27 inch draw length or whatever, 26 inch draw length, 26 and a half or whatever. That becomes a situation where efficiency in your overall setup becomes crucial, especially the arrow. Do not, and I've said this before, and I will always say it, do not run a mechanical unless Bill makes one. Um, But do not run a mechanical run ahead like the iron wheel 100 or 125 the, the, and especially the standard you know the the one in 16th um whether it's a solid or vented or whatever <clears throat> because the efficiency of energy transfer of that of your arrow going through that animal is going to be maximized by having an exceptionally efficient broadhead up front not only is the iron wheel very, and this again, or not again, but let me just, now that we're all the way through this, <clears throat> this was never intended to be uh, an ad for iron wheels. This is just Bill and I chewing the fat because we both geek out on this stuff. And and I reluctantly, like I said in the beginning, that head sat on my desk for a year before I was like, no, well, okay, I guess I'll play with it. And then I started playing with it and here I am. I'm like, nope, that's the only thing I'm shooting. So <laughs> it was never intended to be a, a an ad uh, type of podcast. So we just wanted to have fun exploring some ideas. But seriously, for women and kids, young you know, young adults that don't have you know the the high high kinetic energy setups, this is where spending money on an efficient broadhead is going to pay dividends on your success in the field. Um, so just qualifying that, you know, if, if you're a woman or, uh, it, it, it doesn't matter if you're a woman, if you're, I've got an uncle that 
his draw length is like 25 and change or something like that. And I mean, he, he's very, very short. He's a tiny little guy. <clears throat> um, if you're not running maximum, you know, if kinetic energy or momentum, okay, be judicious on where you're aiming and, you know, don't just purposely thrun it, send it through the ball and socket joint of the shoulder. But if you're a regular adult male, don't hmm. fear that. So, so to speak. I, is, is that a fair statement, Bill? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I agree with what you said. Yeah. Average adult male, um, is going to go through those, through the shoulder bone scapular or whatever in a white tail. And then, yeah, if you've got, yeah, whether you're, uh, whether it's a kid or, uh, um, you know, it can be anybody really that's shooting lighter no. poundage. Somebody's just getting into it. You no. know, some guys, some guys just can't draw that much if they haven't been shooting a bowl their whole life. Um, if you've got a low momentum, you know, mass times velocity, that's kind of the best indication of how much penetration you're going to get. Um, if you've got a lighter setup, um, keeping that force to penetrate low is huge because it's, it's a one-to-one. If, if the force to cut into that animal is, is, is half of what it would be on a different, with a different broadhead, you're going to go twice as far through. And, and I'm convinced with, with an iron wheel broadhead, you're going to get more than double the penetration compared to pretty much any three blade out there, whether it's a chisel point or a one piece in, you know, the one piece will say one piece cut on contact, but typically they're not very sharp. Um, and that's what people don't realize a lot that a lot of broadheads aren't out there. Aren't that sharp. Um, chisel points or trocar tip points typically take a lot of force to push through hide. Um, and then the kind of the one piece solid construction where they just grind, the three flats and you've got a 60 degree angle or 30 per side. Um, often it's not a very refined edge either. If you zoom it up to 200 X, like I do, you see that, man, it's not very sharp. Those take a lot of force to push through too. And, and if you don't believe me, just next time you shoot a deer, try and push through by hand. Cause with, with an iron wheel, you can push with about 10 pounds. You can push through that hide and muscle say right into the, the hindquarter. You can just push into there like nothing. And try that with a try that with a chisel point three blade, or or one piece solid um, three blade, and and then try it with a mechanical um, if you want to like break the arrow in half and and uh, yeah it's it could, people don't think about that but that force to penetrate is huge and and yeah the lighter setup you have the more important it is to have a, a low force to penetrate so you get more distance through it yeah and and <clears throat> now obviously I mean we can sit here and say, you know, Bill, obviously you've got an inherent bias. It's your company and you're proud of your product and you should be, but of course you're going to plug your product. Me as, as someone who's used it, used all, all sorts of other broadheads, but again, more importantly, my, my standpoint is coming from watching hunters come through my camp with a variety of deer hunters coming through my camp with, a, and, and the guy, the people I've guided elk hunting and gone with elk hunting and watched, the performance of broadheads in the field. Um, three things, yeah. three things and, really well, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. One thing I wanted to point out too, is that, um, <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, iron will, yeah, they're extremely sharp and they cut on con truly cut on contact, you know, they'll shave hair and retain the edge. But if you can do this without an iron will, you can, you can increase your penetration by making sure your broadhead is really sharp. And, yes. and, you know, if you, if you learn how to sharpen things really well, um, you can take that, that three, um, say a one piece 
three blade construction and really put some hours into those edges and get them super sharp, get them, get them to shave hair and you'll penetrate better. Or there, there's some two blade kind of one piece solids out there that aren't all that sharp either, but with some work, they can be sharp. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of the, like the bigger traditional heads. Um, they may not come sharp, but you can get them there. And if you can get them shaving hair, you, you're going to, you know, penetrate much further through. So that's just kind of in general, make sure whatever you're shooting is super sharp, especially if you have a lower, lower, you know, pound setup. Yeah, no. Yeah. And a buddy of mine, Keith Klum, uh, he, he shoots traditional. <clears throat> I still, to this day, remember he, I don't remember what uh, head it was, but it was probably along the lines of, and maybe I'm out of line here, like the quote unquote Ashby, maybe, maybe it wasn't Ashby, but what, what, what's the three to one principle or something like that, where it was like that, you know, traditional heads are really long, skinny. Um, yeah. Three to one mechanical advantage. And, and that's, and, and that's stated wrong. And it has been for many years that it's not really mechanical advantage means the force. If you put a certain force in, you get three times the force, the force out kind of thing. And, and that's the true on say a wedge, if you're wedging up, if you've got a, a say a box sitting on a wedge and you drive this wedge and it pushes the box up, well, yeah, if it's, if it's three times as long as it is wide, you'll have this mechanical advantage three to one. And they, they have, Applied that to broadheads. Well, a broadhead's not wedging an animal apart by an inch, right? It's slicing, yeah. it's slicing it, and it's actually just pushing it apart the width of the blade. So it's been you know, their physics there, they're trying to use the physics and the mechanical advantage principle on a broadhead, and, and it, it doesn't work that way. Um, and you know, I've, I've I've explained that to Dr. Ashby that um, you know, it's not a three-to-one improvement because I've tested it. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's all about sharpness and edge retention. I see very little difference in pe- force to penetrate with a longer blade than a shorter blade. If they're both very sharp and the negative of that longer blade is they don't fly as well. Um, you got a lot more surface area there. So if you're shooting close range, it doesn't matter. But for guys that want to go bow hunting out West, I think it's, it's a big negative to try and shoot a three to one or even close to that for a broadhead length. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, like you said, from the physics standpoint, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense because you're not wedging it apart. You're, you're slicing through, but my, the, the point with Keith is to your, to your point on sharpening. Yeah. I, those things come, you know, he'd buy them and you could butter your bread with them and that's about it. Yeah. Um, but he, with his file whole, I, I've never seen other, maybe than other than Tom Clum senior, and, and there's no, as far as I know, there's no relationship, relation between Keith and Tom, but same last name. Um, other than maybe Tom Clum senior sharpening stuff. I mean, he, he would spend time and he, and he'd get those broadheads when there's shaving hair. And then there's just when your hair just leaps off your arm to get out of the way of the blade before the blade even gets it. I mean, he, his, he would get them. Stu- I mean, like stupid sharp, stupid sharp. And so, yeah, your point is very well taken. Ironwell, you guys make them to where they're sharp. But if you if you're buying something else and you spend the time to make sure they're sharp, sharpness is like freaking yeah, sharpness and like you said, edge of retention is going to be huge. Um. All right. Oh, oh, oh. 
what you brought up and, and this. So for me, as, as somebody who's watched a lot of people shoot a lot of different animals, couple things that, that have over time have, have, they've risen to a point where I cannot overlook them. And it's now just become a rule for me is one exit hole eggs. I would, I, and I'm going to eat my own words. I was the type of person that said, yes, if I have a mechanical and I send it through the body cavity of an elk and I get three quarters of the way through, but I don't get an exit hole. If I've got a two inch freaking gapping, gaping hole on that one side, he's still going to die. He's going to die quick and there's going to be a blood trail. I'll be able to find him. Yes. However, given the choice between an inch and a half, let's just say an inch, an inch, an inch and three eighths hole versus a, a theoretical two inch hole. If the theoretical two inch hole goes three quarters of the way through an animal and I only have one hole going in the extremity of the animal. So I only have an entrance hole that's going to put blood on the ground. I'll take the two holes all day long because especially angles and, you know, elevation, I'll take the two holes all day long. So efficiency of that head going through the animal, giving you two holes where blood can come out, in my opinion, is huge on recovery, a fast, a fast, efficient recovery, faster and more efficient recovery of that animal, number one. And this, and that, that definitely goes to what we were just talking about with, with ladies, young adults, kids, small, you know, smaller or older, you know, people that just can't pull back 70 pounds anymore. If you, if you're, if you're overall, System doesn't is not running a hell of a lot of momentum or kinetic energy. Efficiency is key, and being able to get two holes in that animal is going to help you recover that animal more effective, efficiently. The other one was, you know, with the especially with the wide. I've talked about this. The bigger the hole, if you if you inadvertently make a bad shot, a bigger hole is going to cause that animal more physiological distress, which oftentimes creates a situation where the animal just shuts down faster. It either wants to go bed faster, just stop and figure out what the hell is going on, maybe give you a second shot or whatever. <clears throat> so, yes, I, I still i am a massive advocate of having a bigger hole if you inadvertently hit the hit the guts in that type of stuff. However, likewise, if what you were saying, Bill, that animal spins and you're getting a quartering, if you're running a if you're running a mechanical and that animal spins on you and you center punch the guts, sure, it goes to guts and it goes in the liver and it just stops there. The gut material, the fat, the whatever was in the stomach can block and plug up that entrance hole. You killed that animal. That animal's stuck. That animal's dead. The question is, is depending on the train and the vegetation, are you going to find it? Versus if that arrow has the ability to go through that essential hay bale in that stomach, through the liver, and then still catch along. And holy hell, if it can still poke out the other side, 
Now you have an exit hole. You have two holes where blood is coming out and you're better off being able to recover that animal. Yeah, I, I totally, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think this argument that one big entrance hole is better than two holes is no way, you know, especially on an elk where, yeah, you might get to the second lung, but you might not. And then if you just get one lung, it's, it's, it's a long day on an elk or, you know, a couple of days maybe, um, or you might not even die, but, and, you know, I was this, I'm about to go to bear hunt Saskatchewan in a few weeks. The last time we were there a few years back, um, we were all actually just shooting our S series head up there. And I think we took four bears and they're all, you know, quick kills, short blood trails and good blood trails. Um, the, um, the next week they had five guys come in all shooting, um, a very popular rear deploy mechanical. I'm not going to name it, yep. but, uh, they, and they, it was all downward shots quartering away, you know, went into the opposite side, um, shoulder area. Um, I'm not sure if they all went into the opposite side shoulder, but none of them were passed through. And that outfitter told me that he's, he's not letting anybody bring that particular head anymore. Um, because he, he almost lost five bears. I mean, yes. he recovered them all, but there just wasn't a blood trail. It was a high entrance hole, even though it was two inches wide with no exit hole and all that thick hair in that, you know, that thick terrain that all the brush yep. and stuff they go through, there wasn't enough, um, blood and they ended up grid searching to find those bears. So yeah, I think exit yeah. holes are, are huge. There, yeah. Been there, done that. And that was going to, uh, so that I, I did forget that one. <clears throat> I was, I have the note here and I overlooked it, but yeah, it's, <coughs> especially if you're going to be, <coughs> sorry, yeah. <coughs> uh, especially if you're going to be hunting uh, steep terrain, where you are going to have downward shots or you're in a tree stand. I, I, I have talked about this all the time. I will, I will never shy away from talking about this. Uh, my biggest whitetail to date. Uh, I lost 100% of the meat on that animal because I made a shot. It was a great shot. Uh, it, but the, he, it was from a tree stand, big whitetail, Came in, beat the piss out of my decoy, and him bull. He, he just leveled my deer decoy, and he stopped. I shot, and he just kind of he he didn't. I, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. The shot entered high liver and angled forward into the chest cavity, but never came out. And he took off like a shot. I'm watching, and this is like last light. He walked. He just runs right out in the middle of this big CRP field, and it's you know, 20, 30 mile an hour winds start picking up and it's 80 degrees that night. And all of a sudden we get this brutally hot South wind, just wind is rocking. I'm trying to follow the, I, I, I know where he left the, the Creek bottom cause I'm on the trail, but then it goes into the CRP. There's not a drop of blood. And the, if you've ever been in a CRP field, you know, tall grass with the wind going 30 mile an hour, it, everything's moved. You can't see anything. And it was 80 degrees that night. So the next morning I come into grid search and that buck died within sight of the tree stand, but I had zero blood. Now this, that is another example of why I, I advocate for lighted knocks because the arrow was sticking up and way he landed. If, if I had had a lighted knock, I would have been able to see him laying there and I would have walked over and recovered him that night. <clears throat> but the, because I did not have an exit hole, 
I, I, I had no, I had no blood to go off of. And if you're doing a downward angle shot and that arrow stays in that animal, that animal, unless, unless they're pumping, actively pumping blood out of that chest cavity and spraying it across, you know, thick vegetation, it, that blood has to fill that chest cavity before it exits the body. Well, a lot of times they're dead before that. And you don't, you don't have a drop of blood. So that's a, there you go. There's a, there's a fourth, uh, or well, the third one in the, my, my fourth one was what we talked about was the impact, the physical pressure and the impact audible and felt impact of that arrow hitting that animal. If you're, if you're dealing with it, if you're using a high efficient broad, high efficiency broadhead, the animal almost doesn't even detect the arrow hitting it. It only is re- oftentimes that arrow is, or the animal is only reacting to the sound of the bow and the movement of you shooting that bow <clears throat> and to where they just run off a few, you know, run off a certain distance, stop, look around like what the freaking hell just happened. And then they just like, Oh crap. And then just boom, they're blacked out. They're done and it's over and, and they die within sight. So uh, over time, I've just gotten to the point where it's like, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm done chasing fads. I'm done chasing a new product. I'm done chasing. I I'm just done. I'm just, I'm just done. I'm, I'm settled with, you know, what you've got. And, and I, I like, the, I, I like all the, it, for me, it's the solid one twenty fives or the wides and, and the wides are what are in my, that that's the first arrow I'm pulling out. Unless I know it's going to, it needs to be a, a longer shot, which if you know me, I'm not taking that. So <clears throat> for me, it's, it's the wides. I'm curious about um, playing with the, the single bevels, but um, yeah, I'll get you a few to try out. And um, if you got some, you know, do some dope, dope patrol or whatever, where you get an opportunity yep. to shoot a few animals. Um, that's what I've been, you know, doing down in Texas where huh, I can shoot a couple of bucks down there, but then I can, shoot a bunch of does and hogs and things too. And they're great to test different heads. Um, but yeah, I'll send you a few, see what, see what you think, see what your yeah, experience yeah. is with them. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you one more question that has nothing to do with your broadheads. This is just, a, right. this is just a thought experiment and we'll end it here. I've always wanted to know this and I, I'm curious from an engineering standpoint, what you think you had touched on it earlier about arrow length and grains and, and momentum and all that stuff. Here's my question. <clears throat> you have a 30-inch arrow that weighs in at let's let's say a 30-inch arrow weighs 500 grains. Going at how do I want to put that? Okay, here we here we go. 30-inch arrow, 500 grains, going 250 feet per second. You have a 25-inch arrow that weighs 500 grains going 250 feet per second. Will there be a difference in penetration? Yes or no? All, all else is equal then, diameter and everything there. All else is equal. We're just talking length. Yeah. Well, it's really... It's really momentum. I mean, the most direct calculation is the momentum just before impact 
will equal force times time driving that arrow through the animal. And momentum is a vector quantity, so it's in a straight line. Um, so, I mean, you could argue that a little longer arrow may have a little more air drag and maybe going a little slower out there, but let's just assume they're going the same speed. Um, at, let's, at, say, um, let's say, at let's say it. Yeah. Let's say it impacts the animal at 250 feet per second. Yeah. Same. Um, you know, at, at, at kind of the first level, I'd say they should penetrate the same. You got the same mass going the same velocity. So you have the same momentum in that straight line. Let's just assume they're both going straight and you don't have excessive flexing from an underspined arrow or, um, or, you know, wind pushing it off. So you're not hitting straight because yeah. all those yeah. things can, yeah, might change yeah. my mind a I, little bit. On I, the I didn't think, okay. Yeah. This is why I'm asking, man. I didn't think about those. Uh, okay. Keep going. So yeah, if it's, and, and this is, this is kind of the same answer on this, does FOC matter that much? If everything's in a straight line, um, it's really just mass times velocity in that straight line is going to provide this force over time at that impact. So no, they, they, I mean, they should penetrate the same. They're going to have, since they have the same momentum in that straight line into the animal should provide the same force for the same amount of time. So it should be the same. So, so potential energy does not factor in and and what the reason where i'm coming from with this is and it kind of stems from the the foc discussion we could we could actually we could ex, we could extend this out to a 12 inch arrow versus a 30 inch arrow drag notwithstanding okay my thought was always, and it's just purely an opinion from a theoretical standpoint, the potential energy stacked in the length of that arrow. If, if you're thinking, and I'm, I'm, and, and maybe I'm completely wrong, but I'm kind of thinking like a piston, like the stroke of a piston in a 30 inch arrow, you have 30 inches of stored potential energy traveling through space once it impacts then it's like like a a locomotive all those cars just come smacking in so basically you have to drain you're draining the energy of 30 inches of arrow in into that animal if that makes sense you're expending 30 inches of energy into whatever you're you're penetrating into versus if you just had a 12 inch arrow, say everything's the same, you only have 12 inches of potential energy to stack in there. Does that not, I don't know this. I used to, I mean, I've, I used to be very good at physics and I just, I don't know this. I'm very curious. Do you, do you think the potential energy in stored in a matters or, or does it not? Yeah, there's a lot to this. Um, <laughs> this is why I wanted what, to ask you. What, so potential energy isn't really the way to describe that. I mean, there's potential energy if you've got like a mass up in the air at some you know height, or if you've got a spring compressed. Um, and it's more just stored. So, okay, it might be. Let's talk about energy. energy. There's, there's. Um, I think 
rather than talking about energy, let's talk about momentum. We we could we could cover it both ways, but think about it this way: it's it's momentum um, that's that's going to create this force. So it's that mass times velocity. And you know, as a as an engineer and solving that problem at a at a at kind of the first level, it, what I mean by first level is kind of okay. How do we simplify it? If you simplify it to like a point mass going a certain velocity has that momentum driving through, you'd say there's no difference. Um, if you want to kind of take it to a little more detail, well, you could think about it now. Well, you have really have a distributed mass, or you could think about it a lot of different like sections of mass at some velocity. And what are they all doing? Are they all going to push right in that straight line or stored and energy? I, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and then, yeah, I think as long as it's in a straight line there, the answer is still going to be the same that they're going to be, they should have the same momentum, same penetration, because we're talking about the same total mass and velocity. Now, um, one, some things that can happen, there are kind of like more like second order effects are, all right, if you got a lot of mass at the back, does it stay straight? Does it buckle a little bit at impact? Um, or is the arrow not perfectly straight to begin with? And does that back end, you know, swing out and have some momentum out of that straight line? Um, you know, I, I think it's more, it's, there's more likely, those things are more likely occur if you have more mass at the back or, or it's longer to start with. So I kind of feel like there's probably more negative things that potentially could happen than positive with a longer arrow. That's good. That's then okay. All right. So that so then you, then you then you're making the case then of bringing back the old overdraws. Remember those bad chickens? <laughs> well, not really because moment, so momentum is a vector quantity. So it's it's in a straight line. Any any movement outside of that straight line is just kind of wasted. That's energy, correct. Right. That's correct. And so that's the problem with those overdraws is they were hard. They were harder to tune, harder to get that arrow to come. They weren't very forgiving. And so um, yeah, a little bit of torque and that arrow's not coming straight. And then you've just, you know, all bets are off. So having, having like the, you know, perfect arrow flight um, or as, as best arrow flight you can. And that's kind of number one. Um, so no, don't do the overdraw thing. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Well, let's see. That's why I figured to ask you a question. <laughs> all right. Well, I've kept yeah. you well past your bedtime, brother. Yeah. And, um, I don't want to get into it too much, but I would say that, you know, one other thing that people don't shoot fixed blades or shoot mechanical is because of they'll have trouble getting fixed blades to fly. And, and I, I don't want to get into all of it now, but really there's no reason you can't get mechanical fixed blades to fly really well with the right arrow set up and doing some things, you know, having a vein at the back, having me be properly spined. I've got more of this on our YouTube channel, kind of explaining the physics of arrow flight with a broadhead on the front, but it's a little bit of time and tuning your bow and, and getting the correct arrow set up, man, I, I was shooting. Wow. I just sh took three shots before I came in to do the podcast at a hundred yards with our new single bevel and two field points. And I don't even tell you how tight that group was. You think I was lying, but it, it, it can really be done with a decent arrow setup. So if people that are shooting mechanicals for that reason, well, Hey, if you can't shoot a fixed head, well, your arrows fishtailing around and you're losing a bunch of energy that you could be gaining by just having a better arrow setup and, and tuning. So well, don't let then, that stop you either. Then, then that's, that's a perfect two, the two 
pronged perfect way to end this because um you're working at, and I don't I have no idea if you're even allowed to talk about it but uh I was I was contacted to, uh the other day by a certain company that you are working with right now on building a, a system for some arrows and that type of stuff and they wanted to know if I was interested in and in tested some out and I was like well hell yeah so how about we plan a second podcast discussion we I mean we don't have to do tomorrow or whatever I mean we can we can set up a time but how about we you and I powwow uh maybe tomorrow or whatever about some of the stuff that you've done with some arrow stuff yeah because we didn't even talk about you know your your components like the Snyder core stuff and the collars and all that type of stuff because you know again I I wasn't I'm not trying to intent my, my intent was not to make this into an ad I have no problem doing that uh, because I, you know, the, the companies I talk about are the companies I believe in. Um, I have no problem doing that. That was just not the intent. It was, I just wanted to have a fun conversation with a friend. Um, but you've got some other stuff that's going on that would be relevant to talk. Some of the stuff that like the collars that I like using, the inserts that I like using, um, the, the Snyder core whole thing, that, that was awesome. And you're working with, you're going to be working with some folks with some arrow stuff. So maybe we have a second discussion and we dive into some of that stuff as much as you want to dive into. Cause I, I think that's, that's quite relevant because you, you nailed it with, you know, people complaining that, well, I can't get arrow flight. Well, let's, let's talk about that then, you know? So. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good idea. And yeah. And, and testing broadheads so much. I mean, I don't, I don't know too many guys that shoot broadheads to a hundred yards almost every night, but I mean, I've shot them a ton and tested a lot of different arrow and vein setups. And, and, and this isn't um, a selling pitch for my products. It's just some good general knowledge to know to be better bow hunters. So yeah, um, yeah, we can, which let's plan another one out. It might be a, a few weeks or something, but sure. um, yeah, at some point let's jump back on. Sounds good. Yeah. Awesome. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. Well, tell everybody, I mean, obviously I mean, we've talked about eight ways from Sunday, but you know, obviously your company's iron will outfitters, uh, everybody calls you iron will broadheads, but it's iron will outfitters, you know, where do they find you on the socials or our website or whatever? Yeah. Our, our website is ironwalloutfitters.com. Our Instagram is, um, at iron will outfitters, um, Facebook is the same thing. And, and, um, yeah, in our YouTube channel too, is Ironwell Outfitters. And we show some, some kind of general tech videos on there and some product stuff. So yeah, check us out. Right on. Yeah, no, cool, man. I, it, and it was, it was, it was good to talk with you the other day. And, and like I said, it was, I'm a, thank you for, well, first of all, thank you for, for being able, you know, willing to come on and, and chat in a podcast is, you know, sitting, but it was just funny. Cause we did, we, you know, you just wanted to, to, you know, based on that, the, the marathon with Aaron, you were like, Oh, what about this idea? And like literally an hour later, we're like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The questions you were asking, I realized, man, we haven't caught up for a while. Cause you got a lot of good questions and I've got, I've learned a lot of things since the last time we really dug into this stuff. So, well, and, and that's the thing is, I mean, just life freaking hell. Well, I mean, hell, the fact that, you know, Tuesday afternoon, we're like, Oh, let's talk tomorrow. And then here it is, you know, Thursday, 
in the evening, I'm like, it's just, just life, man. I mean, and the amount of stuff that you've, and that's the other thing that's just been crazy with keeping, you know, trying to keep up with what you guys are doing. You guys have been, it's not like you've been sitting around twiddling your thumbs. So let's just put it that way. So it's, it's pretty remarkable. So kudos to you on a, on a, a, a great product. And then being able like we said in the beginning, you came up with a great idea. And then you're able to bring that idea forward and then you're able to perfect that idea and, and you've, you've given it legs over time and you developed it to where, yeah, kudos for you, man. Um, yeah, thanks. It's, it's something I always, you know, it's an approach I've always wanted to take at other companies, which is just make the best product and people will, will buy it. And, you know, I know that's not always true, but I feel like it, it really kind of has been here that, um, I mean, my marketing budget has been minimal. I we haven't paid anybody to shoot our broadheads, and a lot of a lot of killers out there are, are using them, and just giving good recommendations, you know, telling their friends and things. So, yeah, it's it's been it's grown just from people's experiences, and it's it's amazing how much it's uh, it's grown just by doing that and not not paying a bunch of people to go out and talk about it and and um um. Bias yeah, yourself. Too much yep. of that going on, yeah, right? Yeah. That, you know, I hear that from, you know, secondhand people say, hey, this broadhead is great. I heard about it from such and such. And, you know, in the industry, I know who's who's getting paid. And yeah. uh, it's it's funny how a lot of people don't, just don't know that. And they'll hear hear stuff from people and, and think, oh, that must be um, a great broadhead. This guy's shooting it. Well, um, you know, that's, it's not always just because it's the best head out there. So, yeah. Fair enough, man. Yeah. All right. Go get your beauty sleep. You Heaven knows you need it. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, let's, uh, you and I will, uh, and, and I joke about that because, you know, me, yeah. I, I should have been, if that's the case, I should have been in bed about six hours ago. Um, but uh, no, let's, uh, yeah, we'll kill it for now. And then let's you and I powwow over these next couple of days, figure out what each other's schedule is. And let's, uh, let's circle back. Let's do a Jen Saki and uh, circle back on this. And let's talk about the other stuff and maybe some of the arrow, what to whatever extent you want to talk about some of the arrow stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about some of the other stuff you got in the works. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, thanks for the discussion. It's yeah, no, it's fun, man. It's fun. I'm glad to see you do well. I'm glad to see you guys are, staying healthy and uh you're still out in the field having fun so next time i'm in colorado i did i i was there not too long ago and i'm probably gonna be certain i'm heading back there anyway so next time i'm in town i'll give you a call we'll have to get together for dinner or something yeah sounds great awesome brother all right well i'm gonna kill it thanks much and uh we'll talk soon thanks take care all right bye